from the iHeartRadio studios in New York City. Come fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else distorted. You know what the fuck you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 42. Jackie Robinson. Here's the Jackie Robinson of journalism, uh, my special co-host for today. Uh, Art Tavano, what's going on, buddy? Let me just say for the record, I've pioneered nothing in my life, so that is an absolute <laughs> myth. I will never compare myself to Jackie Robinson. I'm more of a Pete Rose. Okay. Kind of how I like it. Uh, okay. I could, I, Anyone can, can decipher that however they want. I'm more of a Pete Rose. All right. Oh, well, I was just basically trying to shoehorn in a segue from number 42 to my special guest <laughs> co-host. It wasn't a good segue, but... That's what I do. I make things weird and awkward, uh, which hopefully I won't do too much with our guest calling up in just a few minutes. That being Brain, uh, I'm just in shock wow. that he he agreed uh, to do it. Um, you know, we've talked, we've spoken about Chinese democracy not just with Scotto um, on this show, but with you, uh, with Walker, of course. Um, it's just. It's just getting more of a piece of a of a puzzle of that era of Guns and Roses that we hope to. To find out more and, of course, find out more about what he's up to. He just finished a tour with Buckethead, of course, another beloved uh, former GNR member. But we'll get to that in just a couple because I want to catch up with with you, Art. Um, are you, what, what are you up to other than, you know, fighting with uh, people on Twitter with uh, Taylor Swift fans? <laughs> yeah, I'm always doing my um, political writing stuff. Um, I'm you know, writing for Playboy. That's where I'm at now. The LA Weekly stuff is over. Um, I'm no longer writing for the LA Weekly. I don't think it's a secret, but um, they got bought out and whatever. Um, I, I might write for them again, but those days are sort of behind me. All my cool GNR work for the LA Weekly is still there, and that's really all I care about. Um, Playboy's awesome. Working on a story for Playboy on women's professional wrestling, which is going to be freaking badass. I think GNR fans will appreciate it because, you know, it's funny. It's all these... All these female wrestlers today, they're all influenced by, like, metal and hair metal from the 80s. Like, there's this girl named Tony Storm. Her entire gimmick is that she's Nikki Six. Um, okay. I interviewed, yeah, I interviewed Alundra Blaze this morning for two hours, and all she talked about, I mean, seriously, like, 55% of the interview was her talking about Guns N' Roses and how she hung out with Cinderella in Japan. Really? And all the hard, yeah, all the hard rock kind of, it's weird, because pro wrestling and hard rock, like, in the 80s, like, I didn't even realize, I mean, I kind of did, but... It's literally like there's there's a partnership in those two worlds that was so badass. That it's, for me, it's like I don't even know. I've been a fan of both genres, but they kind of come together sometimes. And I, and I dug that. Other than that, man, look, it's the 10th year, 10-year anniversary of Chinese democracy. So, I mean, you can imagine what my life is going to be like this year. There's going to be a lot of fucking Chinese democracy stories, interviews, notes, tweets, online discussions. So that's what I'm doing. I'm focusing on Chinese democracy when it comes to GNR for the next year. Um, I'm working on a big, I am working on a Chinese democracy story. I don't want to say for who or what it's about, but that's happening. Expect something like that probably sometime this year. I'm not going to say when. And then, <laughs> and then I'm working on my book, man. I'm writing my book. Right. writing my book about Guns N' Roses. That's pretty much it. And I think, dude, I'm so, can I just, I don't even know how to express how excited I am that we're talking to Brain, by the way. I just can't even. When I'm I just like, 
I was afraid to kind of announce it because uh, I don't like doing that on our uh, Twitter and, and Facebook because these things may not happen. You never know. And I don't know, people cancel, but he was very cool and organic and just like, yeah, dude, uh, just from the get-go and just the reaction from you listeners and, and just the questions. And I'm definitely going to get to some of the questions that you sent in uh, to me to, to ask Brain. And, yeah, no, just the fact that, you know, the last three episodes, you know, of course, we're going to talk to Brain in just a couple minutes, pumped. Uh, episode before, Christopher Thorne, Blind Melon. I mean, growing up, listening to Blind Melon and Guns N' Roses, that's my my era. And and before that, I'm still riding high with the uh, the London Hudson uh, interview, which really garnered a lot of attention, picked up by a lot of different outlets. And I, I would say the coolest thing and the funniest thing that I did, I don't know if with any of your articles uh, as far as, I mean, they've gone viral, but I don't know as far as uh, crossing a bridge over to another language, that uh, I, there was a, a couple places. One, I'll just give them a shout out, uh, Slash's fan page. It's just called that. Uh, it's like 200,000 likes. So, I mean, if you look for it, you'll know that's the one. Uh, but it's out of Mexico. And they were trans. They translated the interview. And that's just so God. fucking cool. And I, I don't, even though I've worked on Spanish broadcast before, still no habla. But thank you to Facebook for doing that translate thing. So I'm talking to fans, you know, writing in English and using Google Translate to Spanish. And I did the same thing with this. Uh, Dutch Guns N' Roses site and someone's like you know that's such a stupid name and and I'm like again I'm, I'm translating all this from Dutch and I'm like are they making fun of London's name and even the moderator's like London? He's like no the podcast <laughs> I was like what? So, so I'm trying to <clears throat> I'm trying to like argue and write in Dutch you know it's just a play on words but I'm like a play on words is an English expression so play with words and just try so it was a very interesting fallout ton of new listeners since that episode um and just getting more exposure which is what you you do in your life when you started writing and of course getting up to bigger publications of course including playboy uh so it was it's just been a very interesting ride and i'm super excited to, uh, like you riding this crazy guest wave it's not always gonna be like this i'm doing my best I'm setting the standard high, but the fact that uh, we're going to talk to Brain is just fucking awesome. And thank you for joining me on this episode of Special Guest Co-Host. Beyond excited, and I think that I have so many questions about Buckethead and Primus and Axel. Like, and we're going to, holy shit. And he's, and, he's, and he's cool, right? And he's like, he wants to talk about everything. He's open. He's an open book. He's cool. He's down to earth. And there's so much shit to go over with Brain that, I, I mean, anyone who's ever given a shit about rock and roll, about Chinese democracy, about Primus, about Axl Rose, about Guns N' Roses, about Melissa Reed. Tom Waits. Tom Waits. I mean, and so much to talk about. Um, I got to interview Melissa Reed a year ago for the LA Weekly, and we talked about Brain. Uh, a good portion of the time, actually, we talked about Brain. A lot of it never made the article, but, you know, now we get to interview Brain, and it's like, I'm like, this is like basically a dream come true for any junior fan. At least for me, it is. I'm such a nerd so for me, every single component of the GNR universe is just exciting and juicy. And I hope the fans, at least I hope we do the fans justice and give them something cool to remember. I think we will. And I think the timing is perfect because Brain is calling right now. Holy shit. Okay, let's, let's do it. All right. Uh, this is just unbelievable. I remember the first time I saw 
brain, which was an awkward. This is I always end my interviews awkward and start them awkward. Uh, I was in the basement of my mom's house when I was still living at home, and it was me and my then girlfriend at the time, and we had on the 2002 Video Music Awards, and there were rumors about some big band showing up, and without making brain completely uncomfortable, me and my then girlfriend were doing stuff, and then all of a sudden we hear Jimmy Fallon. MTV has asked this next band to perform at the VMAs for like the past four years. Well, tonight, not only did they show up, they're even taking requests. I feel kind of weird introducing them, like one of my favorite bands of all time. I just wanted to say, please, uh, it, it's been great hosting the VMAs here in New York City. Uh, uh, this is the best city in the world. And uh, if, if anyone lives here, you know how powerful it is and how electric and how energetic and uh, the greatest city in the world. For those of you who don't live in New York, welcome to the jungle. Ladies and gentlemen, good and Curtains go up. That's Axel. Okay, I know that's Axel. That's I haven't. I don't recognize him in the jersey and the dreads, but I know that's Axel. Is that Slash? Wait, well, that's not Slash. He has a. Did he change the top head into a bucket? I'm like, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like that. I'm like, I really don't know that drummer. It was a no, totally new band, and that's when I really right. fell in love with Guns N' Roses again, learning more about you. So uh, I we're, we're many steps before we get to that point in your life. First of all, brain, welcome. Hey man, glad to um, glad to be on this. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. No problem. Do you prefer Brain or do you prefer? I'm mean, not going to call you by your your Hebrew name or whatever you yeah, want to yeah, call it. No, I mean everybody. Yeah, I mean my mom calls me Brain at this point, so you know I figured you know everybody calls me that. So uh, my daughter even says Brain, so I'm just like, oh shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, because yeah, everybody just uh, uh, you know it stuck. You know, it was a nickname that was given to me when I was. Um, in going to PIT, that Percussion Institute of Technology, you know, MIT or whatever in Hollywood. And um, I was always just, you know, I really wanted to practice like all the crazy Terry Bozio stuff because I was a huge fan of Terry Bozio because of Frank Zappa. Cool. And then his missing person stuff and all that stuff. So, you know, I was just learning. I was trying to um, uh, learn this portraits and rhythm book. And it was a very, it's a classical snare drum book that anthony Cerrone wrote and um it's just a very it's you know it looks like someone just threw you know shit on fly papers you know it's just it's black basically of how many notes are crammed into each bar and so you know everybody kept saying what are you some kind of brain because you know i wanted to sit there and learn this because i kept thinking oh terry this. So if i learned it i'll be as good as terry Bozier or something you know some stupid shit like that so that's just where the nickname came from and then since then you know, it's just, it just kind of stuck. All my friends started calling me it, and then it became a thing, and I thought, ah, you know, might as well just keep it. Sounds kind of cool, a little different, so. It does sound cool. I mean, if anyone says brain, I either think of you or I think of Krang from the Ninja Turtles. I think of both <laughs> right, on right. Shredder, why haven't you completed my new body? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where are you calling from us? Uh, where are you calling from now, by the way? Right now, I'm in the Bay Area, actually, because I was, I'm, as stupid as it sounds, I'm taking pro, like, not pro, but he's, he was a pro, uh, taking tennis lessons. And so... Oh, yeah, cool. But I, yeah, yeah, I come up to the Bay because there's this really, there's this guy that... Uh, is really rad that teaches up here. What's I mean, I'm not a uh, I'm not a major tennis fan, but I mean, assuming it's not Pete Sampras or anything. 
No, no, it's, it's not that. But, you know, he was on the tour for a while. But I guess, you know, I just got into tennis. It was a way to just kind of, you know, lately, the last, like, year, two, like, about two years now. And it's just a way to get away from music, you know what I mean? So it's like one of those things. I was into golf for a long time. Like, you know, I'd take my clubs out on the GNR tour, the Primus tours. So I, I got into that. And then, I don't know, I, all of a sudden I just, I played tennis in high school. And I was just like, you know, I want to get back into tennis. Hmm. So right now I'm just up in the Bay. I'm up in the San Francisco Bay Area because that's where this guy is. And that's where my daughter lives right now. So. I come and visit her every other week anyway, so I'm up here right now, and then I go back to L.A. probably tomorrow or the next day. Oh, nice. And Art, where are you now? Because yeah. how far away are you from Brain? I live in Burbank, California. So, um, Brain, you know where that is, Burbank? <laughs> you know where yeah. that is. So I live like next to like Disney, Disney Studios and Warner Brothers. And oh. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker, so I don't know anything on the West Coast, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're on the West Coast. You must know each other. It's like the same thing when anyone meets me. I'm like, oh, I'm Jewish. Oh, do you know this person? Yeah, we all meet. <laughs> so big here. You can't. It's like Burbank's like an hour and a half away from like Westwood. Oh, okay. Like an hour and a half away from like Venice. Everything's so far away from each other. No one ever leaves their neighborhood. Gotcha. <laughs> I used to live in mm-hmm. a, a Studio City, and my, but my studio was in Venice. You know, I shared. Oh God. With yeah. And, like, commuting, you're absolutely right. It was like, it felt like a different country. You know, I was like, oh, I got to go to work. It just felt like, okay, I'm going to, you know what I mean? I was just like, okay, I'm going to a whole different, like, you know, state to, to, just, to just work. You know, because some days it would take forever. And the culture, it's just weird. It's just nobody kind of crosses over. Because it's just, it takes too long. Hmm. You know, it's, like, ridiculous. But, but then I moved. Speaking, about, speaking of... Sorry, speaking of Los Angeles, I just want to like jump in on one quick question. Is there like a studio or a room that you just love playing in or like recording in the most, like where your drums sound the coolest or like your the vibe is perfect for you? Is there like a favorite spot for you? Well, you know, I mean, spots like that when I was growing up were more in the bay because I was doing more drumming as far as like um you know, in the studio almost every day. That's when, like, the ad shit was booming out here in San Francisco. And, mm. you know, I'd get, like, three calls a day. You know, I, I felt like I was the Vinny Colauda or Steve Gadd of, of, you know, the Bay Area at one point because I'd be getting two or three calls a day. So, you know, there were studios and stuff that I would just love. But, you know, recently, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of playing drums. I've been playing a lot of drums for video games and shit. So... Mm. Mm. You know, yeah. So, I, you know, we use East West a lot. And I really got into, I think it's not the big room, but it's the medium room. I think it's Studio C in the back. I think it's. Wicked. I forgot what. The, yeah. But it, it, it's just like a perfect size. I think that's where the Chili Peppers were doing an album. Um, did Not their last one with Danger. I think they did the last one with Danger Mouse, right? Or whatever. But um, the one before that was Rick Rubin. I think that's the room they used. And we started doing all the recording there. And I just loved it because their big room uh, was just too big. You know, it was almost like, it's almost like recording at Skywalker because we did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of recording up there. And uh, Oh, shit. Yeah, and it was it's just too big of a room though. You know what I mean? It's just it, you get lost in it. And that's how kind of the room at East West their big room feels, but they have a smaller room and that the medium-sized room in the back um and that one 
just seemed to sound drums just sounded great in there. I just loved it. You, Every time we did. It's cool because you you've been called upon to like play for Primus and Guns N' Roses, and you have to go in and kind of add your own touch, or even add your own sort of rhythm and your own sounds to these these songs, or learn their songs. Is that like a, an experience you still crave? Like a new band hits you up, you want to go do that with them, or do you crave or prefer like the a studio, a, a video game studio hitting you up with like a title and saying take over and just create some music for this? What's like a more creatively inspiring experience for you? Well, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I started um, really, you know, trying to just really be like, you know, into the, I was really into fusion. And I mean, you know, I grew up with rock, like, you know, Led Zeppelin, The Who, um, Rush, you know, because I was kind of gravitating towards drums at that point. So, you know. You had to go to Neil Peart, I mean, if you're a drummer. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, yeah, the Keith Moons, Neil, uh, John Bonham, Neil Peart, all that kind of stuff. I was I was really into it. Or Pat Travers because uh, Tommy Aldridge, you know, I was just a huge fan of Tommy. And just that whole thing. As I was growing, I mean, then when I started studying music, I started learning how to read, taking lessons, doing all that stuff, I started getting into fusion. And, you know, with fusion, it's more like, you know, it's like beaten off or whatever. It's like, you know, you're just like getting, you know, you're like tons of notes, different odd time signature. I got high on my own supply type of thing. Okay. So it's funny because when I joined Guns, I didn't, you know, I, I mean, of course I, I heard the album and I knew about Appetite because I, you know, just saw it. It was huge. I think at that time, um, you know, they were doing the... Um, it was what the monsters of rock with like, uh, right. you know, I kind of knew Kurt, Kurt Hammett a little bit. And cause you know, I was in this band Godflesh and he was a huge Godflesh fan. So he was hanging around and then, um, I knew Mike Patton. So Mike was on that tour with faith no more. So he was yeah, crazy. It was and just what was going on. And so, you know, I was just always intrigued and kind of a, uh, just a fan of just Axel and his vibe. You know, I'd look at, I'd see the NWA hat with his, you know, crazy outfits and shit. I'd be like, what? You know, because I was always into hip-hop also. You know, at that point, I was getting into hip-hop. But So I was into, like, hip-hop and fusion, and it's funny because when I joined Guns, I thought it was going to be easy. Hmm. You know, like, I thought, shit, that's just, it's just rock, man. You know, it's just, it's just easy. You know, and then, and then Tommy Stinson, who was the bass player at that time, I remember... um I don't know if we should get into this now. Is this too early to start talking about how I got into it or what? You know, this is this brought is, up. I, I, so I, I like how you noticed that. No, this is a good. Let's put a pin. Let's tease all the listeners. We're going to get to that because I want to go and, and you did notice. I wanted to find out a little bit more about Baby Brain. You know, you grew up on the West right, Coast, right. You're right? And I say I want to create the picture and how you got there. So no, I like it. It's like in a movie. You're foreshadowing <gasps> what's going to happen. Oh, let's <laughs> go back to the beginning and build the the story. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to catch myself because it was interesting in the question. That's a great question because it, it really threw me. But, yeah, we'll get into that. But, yeah, so basically, yeah, basically I was into, you know, I was always into rock. I was, like, you know, like just a huge, like, fan of, like, those particular bands, like Neil Peart, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Rush, which had Neil Peart, you know, and I was, at that time I was toying with, Guitar, I was trying to do everything. You know, I was taking guitar lessons, bass lessons, piano lessons, and at first, before I even started drums, 
You just knew you wanted to be in music? You didn't know how, though. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. I wanted to be in music. You know, I was hanging around a bunch of fools in school that played instruments. So, you know, and one group of people I hung around with, they needed a bass player. So it was like, okay, shit, I'll get a bass and learn how to play some bass. Hmm. And then it was like, oh, you know, we need a guitar player. So I was like, okay, I was taking lessons, trying to learn guitar. And then piano was something I was just doing, you know, because my parents were just like, hey, take some piano lessons. And then, uh, but keyboards were kind of uncool. You know, like, it was like in Ted Nugent. I don't know if you've ever seen that video. It's like one of my favorite videos where he's, he's, he's in the woods and he's got like his guns and shit. And he's like searching for the enemy. And then he finds the enemy and it's a keyboard. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that video. Uh, it's awesome, man. And so, you know, it, it, since then, I've been, you know, keyboards are fine and in rock, I guess. I don't know still, but, um, I well, guess you had two keyboardists and guns, but I guess, yeah, we'll, I guess I we'll get know. to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. But, um, but anyway, so, you know, it was kind of like, okay, so it's going to be either guitar, bass or drums. And then, um, a friend of mine, uh, you know, who was playing in school, uh, you know, during like recess and shit, you know, it'd be like, Hey, today in the quad, you know, Merv's going to be playing um, with his band. And, you know, he was playing Led Zeppelin. He was playing, uh, um, like, uh, Black Sabbath. He was playing all this rock shit. And I just was like, oh, my God, you know, I, I want to play with this guy. And he was a guitar player. And, you know, and he had uh, um, in his band, he had also a bass player. So uh, that, that they were really tight. But it was a drummer who was the kind of the loose cannon. And then at that time, my sister was like, hey, I know Mark. And, you know, they, they kind of are looking for a drummer. And I was like, fuck, OK, I want to be in this band. I'm going to learn drums. So, you know, I started listening to like Rock Candy, Ronnie Montrose, all that kind of shit, nice. which, you know, was kind of big at that point. With Even Journey, Old Journey, you know, because sure. it was like, it was like uh, Neil Sean with that whole Tehotek. I think it was that was that you know like it was one of the first shows I saw was like Journey and some you know like Civic Center show or something and then so I was like I'm gonna play drums I think this you know and then I got into ACDC I remember I was into skating really heavily and this dude Blackheart was who that was his name you know he had the coolest name in town and you know he was like oh Blackheart's here to skate this pool because we'd be just cruising around trying to find pools to skate because that's when it was like popular to like find empty pools around town and I was kind of living in suburbia so it was like you know empty pools were like things that you could find very easily if you just cruised around and just like went into neighborhoods rich neighborhoods and just looked over the fence you know so there was this one pool and the guy was crank that we were skating at and the guy on a ghetto blaster was cranking acdc and i was like uh-oh like this is the shit right here like this is what i i want to play this shit on drums and so you know i found a teacher got into got in you know brought him acdc and he was like oh yeah you know this is great stuff and he showed me it and i just could play you know play the songs then I then my sister said, hey, you know, this Merv guy want, needs a drummer and he wants to jam with you because, you know, she's like two years younger than me. And so was this guy. And so and I started kind of late because I was really into skateboarding more than anything. So I was trying to become a professional skateboarder. But then I broke my foot 
and I kind of had to stop skateboarding. And so I got into just practicing on a pad and, you know, learning stuff. And then when my foot got better, I really dove into drums. But to make a long story short, I joined his band and it was like, well, you're, you're going to be a drummer. And then since then, I swear to you, I just haven't stopped. Hmm. I just, the phone kept ringing. One thing led to another. You know, I didn't go after it like, oh my God, I just like, I have to be a, dr-. it was like, well, I could have went bass or I could have went guitar depending on what situation happened. So that's sort of how I got into the, to the drums. And then I just basically started meeting people and, you know, just hanging out and playing and people offered me gigs and I just kept going and going. And I swear to you, I never thought about it since then. That's insane. Because whether, I mean, of course, Axel famously left Lafayette and, you know, of course, captured in the Welcome to the Jungle video. And uh, last episode, speaking to Christopher Thorne, where um, he was in some small town in Pennsylvania and he's like, I got to move out to L.A. I got to be, this is what I want to do. You just found it. You happened to be there. And like you said, the phone hasn't stopped ringing like so there was never a point for you where oh my god this is happening for me or is it just has been a non-stop ride it's been a non-stop ride wow. dude yeah that's what's so crazy it's just one thing led to another it was just like okay i met some guys jammed around town then this just the biggest band at that time was there was this world beat movement they called it in san francisco and i think david rubenstein or something was the uh, who was like Herbie Hancock's manager at the time was like forcing, you know, heading this whole huge movement of like three of the three bands were blowing up. It was like the freaky executives, big city, and then um, uh, the looters. And I think he was managing all of them at that point. I'm not sure though. He might not, but he was definitely managing big city. And they saw me play with this band. I was playing around locally in town. And then they asked me to join their band then from there, I met Les, and then Les asked me to join Primus. It was like that kind of a thing. And then Les was like, hey, man, this guy Tom Waits is looking for a drummer. <laughs> it was like, you know, oh, okay, that sounds cool. You know, you know what I mean? It was just like, and then, you know, and then I had met Buckethead, and then, you know, and then blah, blah, blah. It just kept going. I don't know if it's still too early to keep going in that way. But that's sort of, yeah, it was kind of, that's weird. I, I know what you mean. A lot of people, like I have friends now that are like, that are, you know, moved to LA and they're just like, yeah, I'm trying to become, you know, get in a band or become a drummer or whatever. Yeah. I luckily in drumming. Why do you think that is? Do you think, I mean, you're obviously that good, but you've had to develop your talent or do you think it's your personality? Why so many people want to work with you? I mean, I don't, I think, I think it was really the area. Like I, I think, you know how like it's like being the big fish in the little pond worked for me here. Hmm. You know, it, it never worked in L.A. for me. You know, it was like there's just so many great drummers and so much talent there or New York. You know, I, all the it just it, it just I happened to just be lucky and be in the Bay Area where I think it was just, you know, and, and I worked my ass off. I'd play with anybody. I was playing three or four shows, you know, a week somewhere in San Francisco with three or four different bands. You know, in every club, any possible two two gigs a night type shit. You know, like I, I'd go from the kennel club over to um, the night break, over to the IB, like in one night playing with three different groups. That's so. That's awesome. I just became like the drummer of like, oh yeah, well yeah, Brain could kind of play a 
punk rock thing. So I'd play with like, you know, I think they were called the Frontier Wives at that time. And they were like a punk type of band. And I was like, oh, Brain could also play, you know, like weird, moody, you know, Depeche Mode type stuff. And there was some electronic, you know, band coming up trying to do that shit. And I'd play with them. And then I'd go and, you know, and, and, and I'd literally put like change in the car and put it on different outfits for the gig. <laughs> so you know that was your own little changing room you did your own little share yeah. dressing changes uh, in your car yeah because i was like oh shit i'm playing with these guys tonight and they're this style and this thing and and i don't know you know i mean i'm half italian half japanese and i think in some ways you know being like in school you know i, I wasn't fully you know with all with all the, the asian dudes and the my full Japanese friends didn't really accept me as like mm. a full member, but I could kind of hang. And then the white skate punk dudes were like, okay, well, he's got a different look. He can kind you know, I kind of went everywhere and I kind of, so that's sort of how I felt like I was with drumming. You know, I kind of just floated into different things and I can adapt. Is that why you, think of my- is that why you think you never, you know, like you're not with a specific band, like you're you're still famous regardless working with all these famous bands, but it's not like brain from this band and everybody's gonna know. It's not uh Joey Kramer from Arrowsmith. So right. is, is there a reason reason why like I guess are you relating to maybe your or your ethnicity as to maybe ingrained why you like bouncing around and do you, you feel like you don't have a home? <laughs> not make it sound say uh, sad, but <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, it, it's funny, dude, because it, it kind of, it's weird because I'm, I'm not like, like, even like Richard Fortis or whatever, right? Like, he's kind of like a studio, he's kind of like the Josh Freeze of guitar. Mm-hmm. I look at him kind of, you know what I mean? He can play anything and he can join, you know, and, and, and play with anybody and, and play on a bunch of people's albums. But he was never really a member, but then I'm not really looked at as a studio cat. But then I was in like Primus for long enough to feel like, oh, he was almost a member, I guess. Or so, you know what I mean? I was in it for like six or seven years, and they were like, okay, he was in Guns N' Roses. Okay, he did that for like six or seven years, but is he a member? I don't know. Not yeah, but no, but you know, but a little more than like what Richard was doing before he joined Guns. Right you know, now, you can feel like, oh, he's been in guns long enough. I remember the last time I saw him, you know, Axel was making a joke or whatever. Like, whoa, I think he's been in the band longer than I have. You know, like <laughs> one of those things. Like, you know, he's still here. Like, you know, fifteen years. Like that kind of a thing. And, um, but, yeah. So it's a, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. But then I'm still known as a studio musician. Probably, you know, in, in some in some worlds, like you know, like people do still hire me and think of me in that way. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I wish I did stick with one thing, you know, as I'm getting older now, you know, I kind of regret that I left, you know, things maybe too early. Oh, that's, you know, whether it's been Primus or even guns, you know what I mean? Hmm. Then I guess let's go first there with, uh, with Primus because that's the first band. Um, how did that first come about, and would you consider that your first big break? Yeah, definitely. That was one thing that um, it well, cause it was it was really funny because the way the how I got in the band was um, 
it was kind of, it was like I joined that band Big City and there was this dude loading my drums in and it was actually Les and Les was like hey man I play bass and you know the guitar player <laughs> sound like him <laughs> he was like hey man you gotta you gotta like talk to you gotta like go see this band man they're killer like it was one of those things and then you know I think they were opening for the Chili Peppers at the Berkeley Square in Berkeley it was kind of this cool you know, club where all those bands kind of came through, Fishbone, Chili Peppers, all that kind of funk thrash group of people, you know, were, were playing at this place and Primus opened and I went and saw him and I was just floored, you know, I was like, oh shit, this guy's sick, you know, it's like, he's the real deal. And um, so it was just like, I met Les that way and then I was supposed to be in the band and then that's when I like, um, I think something came up where I was like supposed to play and um, this uh, uh, somebody else was asking me to play or whatever. So there was just kind of this thing where I was in the band, but then I kind of just bailed and then Les got Tim. And then Tim um, and Les and Lur, it blew up. You know, all of a sudden it became big because it got picked up by Interscope. You know, they were one of the first bands on Interscope. And then they started getting big and big and, you know, and then they got bigger where they're like playing, headlining Lollapalooza, you know, with Alice in Chains and doing all this crazy shit. And, you know, and, and they became their own thing, kind of like the new rush to me or something. You know what I mean? With the way Tim played and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then I was just kind of um, at that point. I think that was I think that was my lowest point in drums, where I was kind of like it it, it 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 wasn't like the phone wasn't ringing for like a while. I was just kind of going, huh, is this really what I want to do? You know, it's like hmm. Now I'm starting to see like, uh oh, like I had a I had like a year of where I was like just trying to hustle gigs you know or something and and i was like ah shit huh i wonder what you know and that's when Les and tim kind of had a falling out and he was like hey man you know i i think i remember i was just sitting there and i was just like kind of just like not sure what i was doing i was like buying some electronic gear at that point i was trying to figure out how to do some like i guess pseudo beat making or composing at that point and I and I remember the phone rang, rang and, and Les was it was Les and he's like, "Hey, Brain." I'm like, he goes, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't know, just kind of sitting here, just fucking around with some gear or something like that." And he's like, "Hmm. Well, what if uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers called you right now and asked you to be the drummer?" And I was like, "Wow, oh, well, that would be kind of cool, I guess. I'm not really doing anything." He goes, "What about if uh, Jane's Addiction called you right now and said you want to be the drummer?" And I was like, "Eh, that's, you know, whatever." And then he was like. What if Primus called you? He's like, what are you trying to say, dude? And he's like, I don't know. Come up here. Let's do some jamming. You know, I think Tim's out. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So, you know, I went up there and I jammed and Les was like, well, you want to play? You know, he's like, because I didn't know at first. I was just like, huh. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think it was that kind of aloofness that, and I'll get into that with even Axel when I was, dealing with their camp and stuff. It was kind of a funny story. But um, with Les, I was kind of like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know, dude? We make a lot of money. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of cool. You know, and I just kind of, he was like, all right, well, you're in the band. You know, and it was like, I was like, okay, cool. So, yeah, at that point, I was like, uh-oh, because I remember 
he was like, okay, so I'll see you at rehearsal on Monday and, you know, and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and the next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, and I was like, oh, shit, these guys are serious. Like, we got to record an album and then we go on tour for 18 months. And I was like, so to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it was like, I was like, oh, shit, now I, I think this is means I'm a drummer. Like, you know, this is a job. And like, after, after, after all those years of this sport doesn't work, this instrument doesn't work, I mean, if we're at the click yeah. at that point, I mean, this is, that's why I, yeah. I like to find it out when it clicks around. for someone like you. It, it, it got serious when I joined Primus and I was like, oh, shit, I get it. We, I have to be somewhere. Cause, and that's what I mean, meant by, like, there was that, you know, period where it was like about a year where I was like, wow, oh, okay. You know, the phone's not ringing like it used to where I was playing with these and then going down with them, getting a studio gear. And that's when, like I said, the ad shit was getting big in the city. So I was doing two or three ads a, a day type thing, you know, and, and, and getting money. And I was in the union and I would just go pick up a check and go, wow, this is kind of fun. This is easy. Then it became hard. It was like, oh, shit, now, you know, what's going on? And then, like I said, less called. And then it became serious. I remember it was like, oh, shit, now I'm looking over, and there's Taylor Hawkins and Dave Grohl's about to watch me play. Hmm. Oh, shit. You know, now I got to kick ass. Like, this isn't a joke, you know? I got to, like, be serious about this and, and take and, and join one thing, you know, and be a part of it. Did your vision for what you want to do going forward change at all at, at that point? As far as, because, like, you didn't know... Uh, did you say, I, I want to be with Primus going forward? Or this is like, I don't know if there was any sort of another eureka moment, like, hey, this is the life that I want. Uh, and this is the vision that I have going forward to people I want to work with. I don't know if there was a, a grander thought, you know, going, not maybe at the beginning, but working with Primus. And, yeah. You know, you know where I'm going yeah, with this? Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that's funny that you said that because the, the story that, it, it, that you know I've, I've told other people before but it, it still sticks with me is like when i was at first it was just more like oh shit you know dave like i remember one of the shows when i first joined primus because tim and tim and i were friends but tim was known as the new neil pert he was very technical player he was very you know he, he was um he was more linear you know, it was less of, he could groove, but it was more about the chops and more about, you know, he had a big, huge drum set. And when I joined Primus, we did the opposite. You know, I went in with like a Bonham kit and was about the groove and it was just about hitting hard and keeping time. And um, so people had heard like, oh, Primus got a new drummer because, you know, Les said he was getting calls from people all around the world. Oh, I play just like Tim. Can I join, you know, here's my videotape and tape sending in tapes and shit. And, you know, check me out. But Les wanted to do a different thing. He had a different vision at that time. And what happened was, um, he, uh, I mean, with, with that, like I said, the Dave Grohl's the Taylor Hawkins, but I'll never forget. We were playing the palladium and I, I looked to my right and there's Neil Peart. Hmm. I look to my left, and there's uh, um, Danny from Tool. Oh wow! And I look behind. Then and then I look behind me, and there's Stuart Copeland. <sighs> and I'm like, holy shit! So yeah, the first couple of years were just like 
I got to play in front of my heroes. Like, you know, like, I'm, you know, like another gig, Terry Bozio was right behind me. And less even before my drum solo said, well, Brain, I don't know about tonight. Terry Bozio sitting behind you. Go. And I had to get a drum solo. <laughs> I love your less Claypool you know, version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah. I mean, so anyways, it, it was kind of that for the first couple of years. But what kind of got me into composing, and that's something that, you know, we could talk about even after we talk about guns, was I'll never forget we were in, like, you know, some – crazy country and you know overseas or something and and we were on tour of slayer and the cases started coming down the um the ramp you know as they were loading in you know because we were like getting to the uh sometimes we'd get to the venues and we'd have to like in the bus and we didn't get a hotel so we would stay there and i would get catering in the morning or something and i got up early one day and they were loading in loading out the um the anvil cases and the drum cases started coming out and they were just beat up to like a nub. They, they had every sticker from every country on there. They had just, it was in, they were just torn up and I was like, Holy shit. Is this like what happens if you're just stay on the road for the rest of your life, you know, and do this. So in that moment I thought, okay, I want to grow old doing composing. Like I'm going to start getting into, you know, like taking piano lessons again, theory lessons, classical, you know, like less, like, you know, I was taking chamber music lessons from someone, you know, like that kind of shit. I was just doing everything I could on the side while still doing shows with like Ozzy and, you know, we were on that Black Sabbath tour. I think we were on that uh, Ozfest at that point. And, um, you know, and uh, all my off hours, I was just trying to get into computers and music because that was where it was going and that kind of stuff. But I always thought, oh, no, I'm going to end this at one point and get into composing. That was like my main goal after I saw like what the road can do to you. Then, yeah, then the answer to uh, my question was yes. So that is cool to find that out because I'm assuming composing never even occurred to you prior. Not really, no. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, I've always was interested in it because I always loved movies and shit, and I would always listen to the music and see how it felt, and you know, and 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 um, was you know, I was I was just an avid movie lover because my dad was, so we just watched. That was our kind of thing. We'd watch movies together and just talk about them, and just you know, like, and that was our bonding type of thing. So yeah, but. Yeah, it was crazy. At that point, that's what I decided. You know, I was just like, oh, shit, I'm going to get into this. Uh, was it? Bef- awesome. uh, that is awesome. Uh, I know Art is a major Primus fan as well. Did you need to have a, a question to get in there? I had a question, not relating to Primus, but to Tool and Danny Carey, but okay. sort of relating to Brain more than Tool. Um, I grew up, like, loving Danny Carey's drumming. I saw him at the Baked Potato once, and he was just, like, a monster in this small room of, like, 50 people. And... I remember talking to him about like ancient geometry and all this weird shit that he used to kind of like form influence his sound. Like was it, if it was the occult or if it was like ancient sort of teachings and philosophy, I read somewhere that you um, were studying philosophy for a while and you're thinking about maybe even going to academia and doing that. Did, did your studies of like spirituality or philosophy at all influence like your setup or your work or your drumming? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I was trying to, I mean, I know that Danny and the whole, and they're way more into it, like the keyboard, the, 
old keyboardist in Guns N' Roses, Mother Goose, you know, Chris Pittman. We were really good friends. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, um, you know, he, he took me to Danny's studio and, you know, they, and they have all that crazy geometry, you know, Masonic temple shit on the wall and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I never went that way with it. And, um, you know, through, I, I was just more into, you know, I was a huge fan growing up of like Bruce Lee. And, you know, I know that he studied philosophy and was into it. And so I kind of just was always interested in that stuff. But, mm. um, you know, what, what more, what, it was more of like with like Tony Williams, I think, you know, he, he was the jazz, you know, drummer that played with Miles and, um, he was a huge influence on me because he played it like a rock drummer. You know, he was kind of, you know how like Jocko played the bass, like a punk rock, rock drummer. I mean, rock bass yeah. player for, you know, the uh, jazz fusion stuff that he did. Tony Williams, I always thought was like, you know, the most powerful jazz drummer. And because he played it like, you know, like Buddy Rich stuff, you know, just balls out, just sweating his ass off, just, kicking it it wasn't a lounge type thing it was way more deeper than that and i was always a fan of his and he was always into like numerology and all this kind of stuff so you know i kind of say as far as my setup i kind of was into that kind of shit for my setup not really mentally you know to do that kind of but for my setup i would you know Definitely, I copied Tony Williams on heights of stuff. Like, you know, my, my snare drum had to have 12 lugs. My um, floor toms were 10 inches off the ground. You know, I, I would measure everything to have a certain kind of a cool vibe and, and, and kind of that for the setup. But, you know, as far as playing, no, I look at playing as more like an athletic thing. You know, I try to just get in a zone, and I, my, more, I, I use more of the influence of, like, athletes, you know, how, you know, or, or, or Bruce Lee, just kind of being in the moment and trying to be, you know, trying to like just channel that side of myself. Totally. And I'm playing. Yeah, drum, drummers are like, the before. you have to be an athlete. You almost have to be, right? You have to be like a very physical person on that kit. It's like even Danny Carey was like into basketball and you almost lo- look like yeah, a basketball yeah. player behind the kit. <laughs> exactly. It's funny, funny you say that because I would every time I'd even hang out with him or see him, he, I'd like, I go like, geez, he looks like he's came right, you know, came right off the court. You know, he's wearing shorts and basketball shoes. And like, and he's an athlete, though. I mean, if you ever watch him play, it's insane. Like you said, you have. And it's ridiculous. You know, he just, it's like, it's an experience, like watching Michael Jordan or something, you know, when you watch him. No, absolutely. Yeah. Then let's go uh, forward a little bit, because uh, we, we mentioned him. What was your first experience meeting the man they call Buckethead? Well, that's, that's um, yeah, that's and that's sort of a good segue into how I got in the band, because that's sort of how I got right. in the band. But, um, yeah, um, it was uh, when I was um, in San Francisco, and uh, the editor of Guitar Player, Joe Gore, uh, was the guitar player for that band Big City. I was talking about that, asked me to play with them. And, you know, we were supposed to get signed, become this next huge band or whatever, but we kind of just, it just never really worked out. We had, I don't know, bad management, just bad, every, you know, it just didn't work out. So Joe Gore at that time was like a, you know, musicologist or whatever. I think he studied, or I think he was teaching at Berkeley at the time. Um, but he just, you know, he, he knew every, he was kind of like my mentor as far as like different 
ethnic styles of music and that's that band sort of was a hybrid of of african beats with uh rock and he basically just you know knew everything so at that point he became the editor of guitar player so he called me one day and was just like you have to meet this guitar player because i got a tape of him and his friend sitting in his like bedroom on a videotape just shredding and soloing and just they sent it to i think paul schaefer saying you know hey you should get this guy in your band you know schaefer's band yeah in the uh uh, in the uh, tonight show whatever it was (laughs) yeah it was that's what it was meant for it was like bucket was sitting there with his bucket on and his mask and he was just shredding i mean just like like crazy and you know Joe Gore was like, hey, man, I think you would be perfect to play with this guy. I really think you guys would get along. You want to meet him. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. So Bucket, you know, I think he was living in Claremont at that time or somewhere in down south. So he, he came up and, he, you know, he was just this really shy, really sweet dude that was just a shredder. And right away, he was into, like, he talked about basketball and Jordan. He was into Bruce Lee. And, you know, and we just kind of got along. We just kind of hit it off. And we kind of became friends. And we didn't really do too much, you know, playing at that point. We would just kind of hang out. And at that point, um, I had already made an album with this band called The Limbo Maniacs. That was another, that was a childhood friend band from that guy that I saw playing the quad Merv who was playing um, Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Ted Newton and all that shit, Robin Trower. And um, he, he was in this, we made a childhood band. We got signed. We called it the limbo maniacs and we got signed on uh, relativity records. And um, so Bill Laz, we always loved Bill Laswell because of the, the cross, you know, he was doing these crossover things. And I really love that pill album that he did. You know, the one where um, Steve Vai plays on it. Tony Williams plays on it. Ginger Baker plays on it. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, it was that, um, it's the generic pill album. It just says P-I-L. That was like one of my favorite, like, albums. So we really wanted this guy to produce us. And... Uh, so he did. So he, we became kind of friends and he had called and said, Hey, I want to put a band together with, you know, with some of the Funkadelic guys. And, um, I said, well, you got to see this guitar player. And I gave him the tape, the videotape of him saying and his friend going, Hey, Paul, you got to get this guy in your band. That guy you have socks. And then bucket would just shred, you know, and like all the, and so, that's sort of how Bucket and I, we made Praxis with Bill Laswell. And that was, um, you know, with Bernie Worrell, Bootsy Collins. Um, it was me. And then from the Jungle Brothers, it was Ass Man Flip and this guy named Torture. And um, he put this band called Praxis together. And we went to New York, went to Brooklyn. We recorded it there. And then... Um, you know, Bucket and I just kind of became friends. And then that kind of segued into when we did the Oz Fest with Primus, 
uh, since I was friends of Buck with Bucket, Les had met Bucket and was like, we should take Bucket on tour with us and just kind of come out as a solo guest on the OzFest. Hmm. And then that's when Ozzy wanted Bucket because Ozzy saw Bucket play with us and was like, shit, this is my new guy. Wow. You know, but that didn't work out because I guess something to do with he wanted Bucket to take off his Bucket. And Bucket was like, I wear this is my look. You know, I'm not going to just, this is what I do type thing. And so that didn't kind of work out. I guess. Um, and then at that point, he had known Josh Freeze from, uh, I think, just being up in uh, uh, L.A. And, and just, I forgot how he knew Josh. But Josh, um, at that point, was in Guns N' Roses. We had all heard, you know, because we had done some shows, like we were doing shows. I think we did like an award show up here in San Francisco. And I remember Josh was there and um, I don't, I think he was playing with Devo maybe at that point, or I don't know if he was playing with anybody. He just might have have been there. And I had kind of met Josh through, you know, some people or whatever to also, you know, in passing, didn't really know him that well and, and, you know, or whatever, but we were doing this award show and Bucket was sitting in with us and Bucket knew him. But I kept, I was like, remember seeing Josh at the table and, and everybody around town was like, oh, shit, you know, he got the Guns N' Roses gig. And it was like, oh, man, that's the heaviest gig you can ever get, the Guns N' Roses, you know, like that's so – and I remember going up to him like, dude, well, shit, you're like the heavy, man. You got the Guns gig. And and he was like, oh, I can't talk about it, you know, because that was like he signed an NDA and he couldn't talk about anything and what was going on. And so after that, I remember we were in – I think we were just doing a random tour – um, with Primus. It was like for the rhinoplasty album or something. And Josh had called Bucket and said, Hey dude, I, you know, I think you should try, you know, try out for guns. And Bucket was like, Oh, okay. You know, and he, and then I guess he had met, you know, like he went and met with Axel, hung out, did some stuff with them. And Axel was, you know, like saying he wanted to change the sound more like, you know, like a different sound and do some different shit. And Bucket was super into it. And Bucket was just like, man, this is rad. You know, it's like so crazy. Like, you know, he's so, he's so rad. And it's just like all this gone, you know, like it's, it's, it it could be really cool. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, and Josh is a great drummer. It's going to be good for you type of thing. You know, we were on tour and so he often was doing that for a little bit. And then I was, I went on tour with Primus in Australia. We were doing a little Australian tour and, um, I had called bucket just to see how he was doing. And he was like, dude, you know, Josh just quit, you know, you should play in this. And I was like, you mean in guns, you know? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of heavy. Okay. You know? So, it was kind of like he was trying to push me into that thing. And I guess telling Axel and, and he gave Axel some tapes or something or whatever. Cause I think Axel had already seen me play and he knew Primus was kind of like a muso musicians band. So I, I think he knew I could play the drums, but um, so he was kind of interested in it. And so I was like, okay, well, when I get off this tour, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, like maybe I'll check it out. 
And then I got home, and then, like, I don't know, like three or four months went by. Didn't hear anything. And then, um, you know, I got a call. I think it was from Tommy Stinson or whatever, and he was like, hey, man, we need a drummer. What are you doing? And I was like, um... You know, and he, you know, and he was just like, you know, everybody wants this gig. You know, Kenny Aronoff's knocking on the door, but you know, Buckethead says we should check you out. Like, who the fuck are you? You know, because Tommy was that kind of punk rock, you know, attitude thing. And then he found out I was playing. I played with Tom Waits, and he loved Tom Waits. So then he started being cooler to me. You know, he was kind of like, and you know, since then we're friends and everything. I love Tommy and whatever. But I remember at first he was just like, okay, you know, who the fuck are you? Are you going to come down and check this out? You know, what's, what's, what, what are you doing? Like that kind of a thing. And so I was like, well, yeah, I'll come and check it out. But I don't know if I want to jam on Sweet Child of Mine and, you know, and those kind of things. I'm not going to come down to audition. And, you know, they were kind of taken back and they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, this is like, you know, like Guns N' Roses, dude, you know? And, and I was like, well, that's cool and everything, but I don't know. I just don't, I mean, okay. I, I mean, you know, what, I'm going to come and just jam, you know, these songs. I know them, whatever, who cares? You know, like, I was just, I wasn't trying to be a dick, but I was really like, well, I could go either way. I mean, you know, I'm not a, I didn't really care at that point. I was getting kind of burned out on playing anyways because I had just been on tour and I was just I don't know I thought maybe I was better than I was or something I don't know so I just kind of blew it off in a way and then they called and said why don't you come down to the studio and just play on some tracks you know some of the tracks that we have and we'll just check you out so you know they I got a call from the manager and they gave me like a first class ticket from San Francisco to LA and am I talking too much? I feel like I'm talking. But no, like- I'm loving all of this. This is great. No, <laughs> yeah. you're a great guest so far. <laughs> so far. All right. Well, right on. I just don't want to feel like I'm. Yeah, because it, it, you know it's a funny story, but it's kind of like yeah, you know. I'm hanging on every word, my friend. <laughs> well, they called me up. Yeah, I mean, they you know the management calls me up and is like, you know, dude, this is Guns and Roses, and you know we're gonna get you first class ticket from here to L.A. You know, they, they, they got, like, a, a car to pick me up, like, one of those S550-something, you know, uh, Mercedes and, you know, black car and, you know, drove me to the airport. They picked me up in in an air, you know, with it, from the LAX from that. No, I think we flew into Burbank because we were at Rumbo at that point, and that was in the Valley. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so, you know, they picked me up. You know, I go to the studio. You know, there's Robin you know, who I'd never met, you know, from Nine Inch Nails, you know, he's sitting there and, and Bucket wasn't there yet, I don't think. And um, so the first person I met, I remember meeting Robin with his crazy hair and I'd seen him in Nine Inch Nails, but I didn't, you know, he just had like, his whole head was shaved except his sideburns. So he had these long, like, you know, Amish sideburn type vibes. And I was like, oh shit, this is getting weird. You know, this is kind of crazy. And then um, I met the producer, Sean Bevan, who was really cool. And then... Uh, Roy Thomas Baker. Uh, Roy Thomas Baker wasn't there yet. I don't think. Yeah, I think it was still Sean Bev. And um, and so um, you know, I go into Rumbo, and um, you know, they asked me to, you know, they 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 had some tracks set up, and they were playing. You know, I was playing, you know, and doing my thing, and and um, Chris Pittman was there. Then he showed up. 
Um, and then I think Tommy showed up, you know, cause they all came to say like, okay, who is this brain guy that Bucket keeps talking about? So I was kind of put on the spot hmm. and then, and then it got heavy because all of a sudden I'm like playing on one of the tracks and I look over and it's fucking Axel sitting in the control room. And I was like, Oh shit. Like there's Axel. Like this is real now. <laughs> like, shit. You know, and I kind of froze up, you know, and I was like, Oh, I didn't know what to do. And then they're like, Hey man, you know, come in. I was like, okay, and I knew that it was because Axel wanted to meet me. And, you know, he he was super cool, but I that's when I knew the shit was real because, you know, he kind of has a presence of like, you know, you're just like, oh, shit, now it's real. Like, I was talking shit before because, you know, I wasn't really talking to the man, but now I'm talking to the man. Like, here he is. Sure. And, you know, and, and he just was asking me what I've been doing and and stuff, and he was super cool. He even said to me, I'll never forget, he goes, he goes, yeah, dude, you know, you know, hey, if you want this gig, you can you can have it and you can still play in Primus or Tom Waits or whatever you want to do. It's just, you know, you got to let us know and we're first. And I was like, this is the fucking coolest guy ever. <laughs> like, you know, I get to fucking do that. And then, do, you know, and and then I was like, all right, let's do this. You know, and then we started rehearsing for that first rock and Rio gig. Okay. Do you yeah. remember the song though? The, the um, before we get to to Rio, what was the um, the song that you played for him? Do you remember? Yeah, it was it was that. Oh shit! Well, I don't know if it ever made it on Chinese. I'm kind of embarrassed that I can't even remember what the um, uh, if it was on Chinese. But um, it was a song Mother Goose had written, and it was kind of a punk rock um, song. Um, I forgot what they what the title of it at that point was. I don't think it was the working title. It was just the one that they what they were calling it while we were doing it. But it was definitely something that was supposed to be on Chinese. And it sure. wasn't like the um, the blues, which was, they changed to Street of Dreams. It wasn't anything like that. It was no. Just, okay. It wasn't no. It wasn't the blues. It was a fast punk kind of a fast punk rock interesting type of feel. One. It might have been pro. I don't. It might have been prostitute. Which is, that might have been an early version of it, because that's not a fast song. Yeah, but I remember the name Prostitute was up, and oh, I, I did a couple. I did, like, three. But the one that I kind of choked on when Axel walked in was the fast punk rock one. If I remember what it is, I'll, I'll um, uh, try, um... Send me an email? <laughs> I, have, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just, Go ahead, Art. Hey, Brian. Sorry, just sorry to jump in. Um... I'm wondering, like, so you get a call, you're going, you're in the airport, you're going to play for Guns N' Roses. Obviously, like, you didn't feel, like, fully real until you saw Axl Rose, the man, in the studio. But did you sort of prepare by listening to any sort of material past GNR drummers? Were you sort of trying to get into the zone of being a Guns N' Roses drummer? Or did you just go there saying, I'm going to give them me if they like me, great? Or were you trying to kind of customize your, your approach to GNR? Well, no, dude, it is hilarious because I actually, I think because it was so big, I just didn't let it sink in. Like I didn't, like I said, these were the steps building up to, like when I saw Axel, then I thought, oh shit, that's the dude that I'd watch on TV with a feather boa like, screaming and throwing the mic down. And, you know, this, that's why I was into him. I, I was into that. He's a bomb. And, oh, yeah. you know, that the shit was crazy. Because I, I was always in the, you know, chaos, killer chaos, never died vibe, you know, in Boros or whatever. You know, I was just always, like, into the whole thing, you know, the mystique of it and everything. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, 
shit, you know, with his rings and shit. I was like, okay, here, the heavy's here. Like, okay, this is where it gets deep. And then, so it started catching up then. So no, dude, I didn't have any preparation. I just kind of showed up like, oh, whatever, you know, didn't rehearse, didn't know one gun song, nothing. Amazing. And that's why it started getting funny because after he told me that, he kind of just said, okay, you're the guy. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's when the shit started going, okay, now it's like talking to management. Okay, we're rehearsing at center staging. Um, You know, get all your gear here. We're starting this, you know, three months of rehearsing before we go play our first show in Rock and Rio and, and that kind of shit. And that's when I started going, oh, shit. So I call my tech. He brings this drum set. And it's kind of my Primus Fusion kit. And, you know, we're setting up, and I'll never forget, I go to the first rehearsal, Tommy Stinson walks in, and I have my mic stand, and it's like, uh, uh, not my mic stand, I mean my cymbal stand, and it's kind of set up, kind of like Neil Purdish with the, like, you know, like a giraffe, it's got the boom stand, with the, the, and it's kind of sticking out, and Tommy walks in, and he takes off his coat, and he just puts it on the boom stand. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like, oh, okay, you fucking did. You know, and so so I was like, so we started playing, and we were just jamming, more jamming, because I didn't really know the songs yet. And, you know, and, and so, you know, we started playing the songs and, and, and doing the shit. And then um, uh, I remember, I'll never forget it. All of a sudden, it's like the bat phone rings. And it's kind of like, Tommy, you know, there's a phone call for you, and I knew it was Axel. And I, I heard, I can kind of see Tommy looking over or whatever and talking. You know, it was kind of like, it was. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I can, you know, I was just kind of like vibing the whole thing. And basically, things here, but he doesn't know any of the songs, and I don't know what the fuck's going on, dude. Who is this guy? Like that type. Mm-hmm. Of thing. So Tommy was like. He's like, dude, like, you know, what's your, like, your setup? Like, you know, and you don't know any of the songs? Like, dude, you got to get your shit together, or I'm just going to tell him, you know, you, you can't pull this or whatever. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. I go, dude, give me fucking, give me two days. I'll be back in two days. Just give me fucking two days. So I tell my tech, look, I want a bottom-type setup. I get this now. No fucking boom stands. No. And that's when I started doing art where you're asking, you know, I started getting my shit together. I was, I learned every fucking song that they wanted me to learn. I sat there for night and day with headphones and a pad at the fucking hotel and learned every break, everything had my tech bring a whole different kit. We showed up this time. Tommy couldn't put his fucking, coat on my cymbal stand because it was a smooth like bottom straight stand. I fucking just you know first song I just went as hard as I could just went crazy you know I knocked over like two cymbals I just hit every drum like I was going to kill somebody and Tommy just looked at me and was like you got the gig let's go get a drink <laughs> that is badass so now it's the shit serious I get it there's no more fucking around. Like he can, it, it, you know what I mean? And I just we remember we went out and had a couple of drinks and just kind of hung out. And he was just like, right on, you know, and I was like, cool. 
you know, and then I had to start, you know, getting my shit together and really learning them even better, you know, and stuff like that. And that's what I was getting talking about earlier where you're asking me, do I refine my cell? You know, do I, do I think about it and make a setup for it? And, you know, and, and yeah, I do like in that particular thing, I was like, okay, I get who I got to become now. And then I really listened to the songs, especially appetite. And I was like, shit, this is orchestrated shit. Like, this is like, you know, this is good, like shit, the way it's moving and the way the drummer moves with everything. It's not just like, okay, somebody play one, one groove and you're just going to jerk off over it (laughs) solo. It's like, there's parts and there's things, you know what I mean? So, you know, and, and I remember I always had trouble without to get me or whatever. Is that the name of that song or whatever? It's like, cause it had so many different parts. I was like, you know? And so I don't know. And then from then on, I took it serious and was like, Oh, okay. I get it. You know, it's a different game now. I know Art, you have a question, but uh, before that, I guess I want to say I relate to, brain at least how i'm perceiving it where uh, there's a certain i I'm only gonna relate this to you i don't want to say like a procrastination at least for me and i'm smart enough and talented enough to get away with a certain amount but there are times whether it be in radio or school where i get yelled at like you can do more you could do better and i'm like oh my god holy shit i gotta get my act together otherwise i'm gonna lose my job or I'm going to get failed this class or, or something's going to happen. And then I was like, something clicks. So that's just, that's what it just reminded me a little bit of my personality, uh, especially yeah. since the beginning where, you know, like, Hey, I could do this. I can do that. And you just have the natural ability to be talented and do this. But there's a certain point where, Holy shit, I got to be better than I even am. Yep. And it wasn't until, and then, you know, and then it even got scarier because that's when it went to that next level where I really started listening to the album and the intricacies and I started kind of going, oh, shit, okay. No wonder they're huge. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I was like, you know, these are fucking great songs. And, you know, and they're timeless, you know, so I was just kind of like, uh-oh, you know, so it, because this is even kind of like, you know, it's, I mean, there, there's, you know, some of that shit that Les did on Suck On This and all the, the first stuff was pretty orchestrated and pretty, pretty, you know, like there was parts and stuff like that. But a lot of it was like, it, it was like, you can kind of let loose within it. Hmm. This, it was like, well, you got to let loose because you want that kind of feel that Adler had, but you also got to play the right thing because the fans know. You know, they're not just going, okay, they got brain in the band now, so we want to see, you know, they could give a shit. You know, as long as Axel's and Slash are there, and Duff, I guess, I mean, does it really matter? You know, but so you got to play it right. You know, it's like, no, they want to hear the feel the way it was done on the album. And they'd like to hear the feel, you know, the way it's done on the album, because that's the way they grew up listening to it, or are still listening to it. So... Those were the things that I was trying to cop. You know, it became, the challenge became like, damn, he's like rushing the verse, but he's laying back the chorus instead of the opposite, you know, where people, like Stuart Copeland rushes the uh, chorus and, oh shit, he's laying the snare back, you know, just a little, you know, 20 milliseconds, you know, behind the kick and the hi-hat's pushing on this one and it's stiff. He's not playing like, um, eighth notes that accented a certain way. They're all accented the same. And, you know, those were the things I started writing down in my head 
And, you know, because I was schooled so I could see music going by as I'm playing, I started like concentrating on, I was like, okay, the goal here now is to kind of recreate what he did because, you know, there's maybe five fans out in the audience that give a shit about me, but they want to hear that they're, they're drinking and want to hear the song the way it was on the album. Hmm. So I, that became the challenge. You know, I started thinking like, okay, I want to play it exactly how he played it, you know, especially like on, you know, um, the first album, Matt Sorum's more of a metronome. So his stuff was easier because, you know, I can, I can do, you could be mine. And it was like a drum machine, you know, it was a straight, and, and his groove was straight, and it sounded like they even played it to a click, you know. But I've heard that. That's uh, that's it's awesome to hear that from another drummer. That's the compare. I always hear that about Matt Sorum. He's a drum machine. Yeah, he's he, so it was easier for me because that's how I was brought up. I was brought up on the click, you know, schooled, practice, you know, practice to the drum click and that kind of stuff. So his songs were easier to play, but the, the intricacies of like you know, and and the way. The, the beats were played on appetite way different, you know, especially, you know, like, like it was so hard for me to get the feel of like sweet child of mine. I'm sure I still, I don't even think I still have it right. Huh. You know, it, it seems like the easiest beat, but you know, it, the, and it is an easy beat if you just want to play it and be generic, but to give it the swing and the flavor that it has on the album is the hard shit. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that made it interesting to me because I was like, well, this was what makes it great. You know, these are, these are the things that make it great. And especially seeing it now with Flash and Duff, I mean, I'm just like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Flash is great for a reason. <laughs> you know, like he gives it the thing. Now it's real. Absolutely. Um, you sort of already, Brent, I mean, Brent, you already sort of went over it, but what I was wondering is, you know, on that first record, like none of the, it almost felt like the drumming was never repetitive in the sense that he never played the same thing twice. It was sort of sloppy, but in a way it added to the, yep. the, the, the appeal. Was there, was there a specific track though, out of all those epic songs that you were like, man, I love, this is the funnest song for me to play. Like the one that you actually felt like you can kind of have the most fun with. I'm a rocket queen, probably. You know, I love the ending and all that stuff. That was my favorite one. That's cool. And it kind of had a funk groove, you know, or whatever. Um, but I think that you're absolutely right, dude, on how you're describing the way that first album. It's like, it feels like it's the same, but it's not. You know, we're on the Illusion album, like, you know, they, Matt Sorum, it is kind of the same. And it's great playing and it's solid, but it's, it's just a different feel. And it's easier for me to do that because that's naturally, mo- it's, you know, I, I could pick up on it and do it where, you know, Steve, I guess with Adler, he's just playing the, who he is, you know, it's like Zeppelin or something. You know what I mean? I mean, like, yeah, I could call right. it Bill, but it'll never be the same as Bonham. Cause I guess I'm not a fucking badass drinker that has a cool car, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All those various GNR drummers brought something very unique to the band. Like, I mean, Adler and then Sorum and then I guess Josh to some extent on Chinese and the, this recording today. Because I think he recorded like, I guess like 80% of the record before you sort of brought your changes to it all. Was there something that you felt like, and I know this, it's hard to talk about your own drumming in sort of a, a way where it doesn't feel awkward, but was there something that you think you, you brought to GNR that was different and unique, sort of your trademark that's left in sort of the songs and the live performances that you were part of? 
Well, it was funny because, um, like with Chinese, um, at first, you know, Josh is a very linear drummer also. You know, he's probably like the best, you know, I, I can't think of a better drummer than Josh Fries. I mean, he's one of my favorite drummers. And, um, but he's very, he's technical. You know, he's very technical and perfect. I mean, you know, yeah. with the nine inch nail shit, I love watching those rehearsals on YouTube, you know, cause he's playing with a, the click and the machine and it's like perfect. You can't tell the difference, mm-hmm. you know? And, and um, I guess that's how Sorum is a little bit, I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't know Matt's playing that much except for that stuff. Josh, I've followed for years and I just, you know, still talk to him and he's, I feel like he's, you know, um, and I've seen him with Sting and, and, uh, and I Devo, he's awesome, you know, or whatever. But when I first joined, yeah, I'd say about 80% was done. And Axel was like, well, I want to see what you can do to these things. And, and so, you know, and it's a story I've told before in, in print. I don't know if I've said it in a podcast, but, um, you know, it was like, well, dude, we want, at first he was like, I like Josh's parts in playing. And then I, so I was like, well, what, what do you want me to redo them? You know, like what's this thing? And, and, and Axel's like, I'll tell you a story about what happened in a second. And it just blew me out. But uh, before it, it um, you know, Axel was like, well, I want to see what you can do, but with Josh's parts. And I was like, well, well wait, so you want me to play his part, but with it just, you know, but I'm playing it, replaying it. He's like, yeah. So, you know, so I went to like Sony Music because I was like, dude, I can transcribe this, but that's like a full-time job to transcribe all this stuff. So I went to like the orchestrator at Sony Music and I remember dropping off a bag of CDs and just saying, can you orchestrate all this stuff, write out all the drum stuff, even the crazy solo at the end of, uh, um, fuck, what's this? Sorry, man. I just, I'm drawing a blank on the song on Chinese, but there's that whole uh, crazy solo kind, it's not solo, but it's kind of like a, um, kind of like a very, you know, it's like a drum part at the end of, um, oh man, I can't remember the name. Maybe you guys will, uh, is it better by any chance? I'm going through no, the whole, not better. it's not prostitute. Cause I'm thinking about the way that ends. No, it's not the, uh, that part. It's the, uh, it's the end of, um, I can go through the whole track. <laughs> Shackles Revenge, IRS, Riyadh, Sorry. No, it's not Riyadh. Um, Is that all of them? Madagascar? No, it's at the end of like, uh, fuck, man. <laughs> if the world, if the world. Well, maybe, that's a great tune. Yeah, I think it might be at the end of that, but um, anyways, so, which is crazy. So the guy transcribes all of it, right? And he gives them back. And I literally had like a huge, you know, like literally like a, you know, a six foot chart above my head that I just learned to play all the, all the parts. You know what I mean? Like literally note for note. I did it. Hmm. And I was like, redid it in my feel. Because my feel that what I think I gave, give to it is a little different feel. It's a little more of a swing to the whole thing. Mm. So I think that that's where Axel was like, okay, I like Josh's parts, but I like the way you feel with his parts. So that's mm. where I was like, you know, because Axel is, I mean, he, his ear is ridiculous. I mean, 
I'll never forget it. Here I go again, probably forgetting what song it was. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, dude, I was, you know, I did that album for like six years. After a while, every song and every um, title became the same. Oh, you've you done know, so it, much. I mean, I can go through the, the track listing again. If you want Scraped, There Was a Time, This I Love, <laughs> more songs <laughs> you played on. Oh, wait, There Was a Time, I think, is the one that has the ending. Is that the one? That's not the piano one, or is that the piano one with Axel? So by himself, There Was a Time. No, that was... Uh, no, the, there was a, the piano was either This I Love and Street of Dreams. Right, there Was a Time right. is... So, it, there Was a Time. There Was a Time is the one that has the crazy drum thing at the end. See, I just remember you know, uh, for that, and it relates to you in uh, Bucket, that despite being loving everything GNR's done... That you know, especially with Slash, the the solo that Bucket does on there was the time is might be my favorite all time solo. I mean, it's insane. So whenever I think right. of that song, I yeah. think of that solo. Yeah, and that yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's the um, but I thought Bucket played great on all the shit. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's it, it's weird. I have a love hate relationship with that album. You know, mm-hmm. when people ask me, do I like it? You know, yeah, I like it. And but you know, there was some of the process was, was pretty hard, you know, doing it because Axel wanted it to be so great that, you know, we had to keep pushing it and pushing the boundaries and, you know, and he would just, and that was my story about like um, on the chart, which he never saw the charts on one of the songs. It was like, I remember recording the whole song with Roy Thomas Baker, you know, maybe spending three days on this song until we got the perfect tape because, you know, I had to play everything that Josh played exactly how he played it. And we finally got it. But I remember when we were listening to the playback and this was like at two in the morning or something. Um, I go, Oh shit. I was looking at the chart. I go, dude, I missed this one kick drum right at the beginning of the verse. And we listened back and we were like, yeah, but you hit the symbol and you hit everything and then you kind of come in there. I don't, you know, I mean, it's, you know, let's just send it to him and check it. You know, we send it to him. You know, he gets it around four o'clock in the morning. We get the call and it was literally, yeah, I like it, but I think Brain forgot to hit a kick drum at the beginning of the, like he doesn't admit, he, I was like, holy shit, again, this is like, this gig is kicking me out. Like he's not is not fucking around. You can't get away with shit. Dude, it was so, and it was like, it was like, but it was like you know, um, the the like lightest kick too. It was like, you know, three fucking peas on the fucking quarter note. It was like just tap it, just, just you know, little tap. And I was like, oh, I just forgot to tap it. It's like yeah, but he, you know, brain forgot to hit that. I was like, uh oh. This is some serious shit. Like, <laughs> he knows his shit. <laughs> He's listening. Not like the, you know, we're just sending it up there for no reason and shit, you know. I mean, that's... Pretty crazy. So, when that stuff would happen, would you... I mean, I want to ask it in a way that's... I'm, I'm, do, you, do you... Did you like that, that that kind of management, I guess, a little bit within the band? Because, again, you having to get your shit together, you weren't sure at the beginning... Did it make you up your game as a drummer? I mean, what, did you oh, have yeah. a reaction? I guess that's, from because that's I'll relate it to me. You know, if I when I've been on classic rock stations, 
And if I slip up a certain word, I'm not talking like saying fuck by accident, but like mispronouncing something or maybe said a joke that missed, you know, having my program director hotline me right away. And sometimes if they were a jerk program director, that would piss me off and throw me off my game. And sometimes I would appreciate it. Be like, you know what? My next break's going to be even better. You know, now I appreciate right. the immediate feedback. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's, um, I respected the game that, you know, the, the Guns N' Roses game, if you want to call it that. You know, I was like, oh, shit, I see. Like, they, you don't get here by fucking around. You know, and I was like, not that I was fucking around, but I was like, okay, the attention to detail with Tommy kind of pushing me and saying, like, dude, come on. Like, you know, this is the real thing, dude. But I think it was my insecurities of myself. That was the way I can kind of, like, be like, that, my way of blowing it off. Ah, this is no big deal. It's just Guns N' Roses. Who gives a shit? I'm just going <laughs> to go up and bring in a fusion. It, you know what I mean? That was my way, I think, of just dealing with it in general. Just if, if, if we, if, if, you know, if we want to um, get serious for a second about, you know what I mean? I was like. I think that that was my way of just hiding that I was actually scared. Like I was like, whoa, this is, this is the, this is, I, I was on, I was on nine, floor nine. Now I'm on floor 11, you know? No, like, that makes I, sense. Like how I, I'll make a joke as a defense mechanism. That doesn't mean like, I think everything yeah. is funny, but I'll either be nervous or uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So that makes right. total sense. Yeah. So I think that that's where I knew I had to go and then, you know, and it, and it pushed me and I just didn't, you know, I just, you know, I'd never seen, so, you know, even now, like the last gig I saw and it was like, you know, I think they played for three hours and 40 minutes. Mm. And then, you know, literally, literally when I went backstage to say, what's up to Axel, he was like, yeah, man, that, I think that was our longest gig. Well, it was three hours, 40 minutes. I'm going to go for three forty-five next, next tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, you're fucking three hours and 45 fucking, like, you know, I just, I was like, he's heavy. I was like, okay. You know, I, I just, I was like, he's constantly pushing, constantly testing, you know, it's rad. And I love, I like that, you know. That is rad. So to go back just uh, a couple steps, what was that first gig like? Because um, one of our, we got a lot of questions uh, for you once we said we were going to announce you from uh, our listeners and. So one of them wanted to know what that first gig in Rock and Rio was like for you. Well, it was it was one I think similar to what I heard. I think Matt Sorum's experience was when I read a couple things on Axel had never sung with us for those three and a half months of rehearsing. Okay. You know, I think he showed up once and just kind of, you know said a couple lines and I think he was just like, that's enough, you know, or whatever. And then, you know, I, I heard it's different now, but there it was like, yeah, man, it was like, okay, here we are rock and Rio. There's like 250,000 people out there. Um, I had hung out with Axel a little bit, you know, in the studio, um, talked to him, you know, maybe two or three times during that three and a half months of rehearsing, um, short conversations, nothing serious. So it's like, here we are about to play our first show, the biggest show. And I had never heard him sing with the band ever. So it was like half the shit, you know, was, was like, I was like, Hmm, I, I have to get cued on this. I wonder how he's going to cue it. So I was nervous, man, probably more nervous than I've ever been. You know, remember that night, 
at four in the morning, just fucking punching the pillow, trying to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I wish there was Xan. I had Xanax then because I probably would have popped one. <laughs> so, you know, I was nervous. I was like, ah, shit. We get there. You know, he's not with us. So we're sitting back there and, you know, I'm talking to Diz and just going like, dude, fuck, I'm nervous, dude. And he's like, oh, yeah, so am I, you know, like, you know, I go, yeah, this is crazy. Like, even where's Axel? You know, like, he's not even there. You know, he's on a helicopter coming in. You know, it's just a heavy, you're just like, okay, of course, you know. And then, you know, we get up on, um, as, you know, we're walking up, you know, there again, I see Taylor Hawkins because they were opening earlier, I guess, or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, and he's like, what's up, dude, you're going to go play. I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking nervous. You know, that kind of a thing. They're all watching, you know, we get up there and, you know, soon as you hear his voice, it, it, everything went away. Hmm. I was just like, this is awesome. Like I'm in it. I get it. It works now. I hear it because before then you just didn't know, you know what I mean? You're just like, you're, you're hearing that his, nobody sung the lyrics as we were rehearsing. It was just all, you know, like in my head, you know, I just hear welcome to the jungle as we're playing the part and the verse and, you know, and that part and whatever. And I remember fucking, we only, I only fucked up one thing. I think it's even on the rock and real video. It's on, you could be mine. The build up after I do the, the, that part, I fucked it up. I didn't fuck it up. I'm, I'm going to say this, and I guess if he hears it, I don't know, maybe he'll never talk to me again. <laughs> but I didn't fuck it up. It was just he didn't come in right on the way we rehearsed it because I think he just maybe live, he does it a different way, but it was never discussed because no one discussed it. So I came in, and I came in wrong, and I'll never forget the fucking look he gave me. He turned around, and he just looked at me like gave me the fucking evil eye. And and I was just like, dude, I just isn't doing it how we rehearsed it. You're the one who fucked it up. Like, that's what I was thinking on stage. But I was just like, oh, my God, I fucked it up. And he just looked at me like, you fucking dick. Like that. <laughs> it was funny. Anyways. Yeah, so that was sort of my first experience. I mean, it was pretty trippy not to hear any lyric, you know, and be headlining the show and to play for like, I think we played for about two hours then, two and a half. It wasn't the three and the half hours they're doing now or whatever. Did you lean on, on on Bucket then as like since you guys were were friends as far as I guess during the whole three months of practicing as far as where is he? Is this how things go? Well no one knew. I mean we were all doing it. This is all the first time before then Bucket was just hanging out in the studio writing with them. Like, you know, it was like Bucket's week or two weeks to come in and play on some of the songs that have been recorded already. So when I was out with Primus, Bucket was, I think, just doing that stuff. Nobody had started rehearsals until I came in with Tommy that one time, and then we started it. So this was new to everybody. Oh, wow, okay. Nobody knew he wasn't ever going to show up, you know, except Diz, because Diz has been through both things. You know, he was through the very first time and then this time. And the Matt Sorum era, too, right? Yes. So, yeah. So he kind of knew. So everybody would kind of look to Diz and just be like, so really, this is how it goes? And he's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he'd, he'd drink his Jägermeister or eat his power bar and be like, <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? Be like, ah, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> that's that's too funny, man. That is too did, funny. Did you, did you and Bucket had ever sort of had a, have a night together or like have a off 
like, you know, outside the studio conversation or like break down some of the songs together and kind of find out different ways to change them or, or have a conversation about any of the tracks and your sort of unique changes you guys. Cause I feel like you guys were creative partners and had a unique language you could talk to each other with. Did you kind of ever like, you know, did you two ever sort of step aside and do your own thing and try to figure out what you can do to these songs and change them or anything? Yeah, I mean, we did because, you know, we, we, we were writing together for the album. You know, we did Shacklers and I'm Sorry. So mm. as far as the album, yeah, we were really working hard as trying to write some new songs, do some different stuff. As far as the live stuff, not really, because I kind of had my own way of approaching it. And he was dealing with the two other guitar players, you know, I think Paul Tobias was the first one that was there. Sure. So he was dealing right. with Paul at first. And then, you know, Axel got rid of Paul. And then we got Richard because he was Tommy's friend. And, uh, right. uh, you know, then he was dealing with them and Robin. So he was kind of had to be, you know, and I, and I, you know, just, I think that was tough for Bucket because Bucket, you know, is his own thing. You know, obviously, yeah. he's doing his own thing now, and he's got his own thing. Um, and he can play in front of a thousand people every night just solo, you know, with an iPod, and he just solos because he's so talented, you know. And I think right. the other guys, you know, it was hard for him because, you know, it's like, I don't even think he likes guitar players, really. You know what I mean? In that sense. I don't. I think he does it because he's great at it, and he likes to, you know, but he doesn't like talk to other guitar players. He just does his own thing. So I think that was the hard part about it because it was like, oh, now he has to sit there with other guitar players and learn parts. And, okay, why don't you play this part and then he'll play that part and then he'll use all this. I think it was hard for him. So the songwriting process was difficult. Was it difficult for you then with guns? Uh, I mean, because if it's... No, because... Uh-huh. Because I'm the only, I'm you know I'm the I'm the drummer and there was no other drummer and I think that it was easier because I was just like okay I know what I have to do and everybody's counting on me to hold the time down and that's my job so I you know what I mean but for Bucket it was like you know maybe he wanted to play this other part and he was realizing that oh I get it you know Richard wants to play that and he's a nice guy and he doesn't want to step on any toes so he's not going to fight for it and then it's like what now we're fighting for parts, mm. you know, and it's just like, it's stupid. You I know what you. I mean? Where now it's like easy because it's like, well, Hey Richard, you know, you're just going to play this cause I'm fucking slash. I'm going to play, you know, I, this is my part, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's easier, but there it's weird. You know, it's like you have three people kind of competing. Cause it was a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And no one knew what was happening really because it was kind of like, okay, there's three guitar players and, and, and they're all new and they've never met each other before. And now we got to all work together. Plus you got to play, you know, I want to play this and who gets to play the beginning of Sweet Child, you know? Then That's what, like the funniest part of me, so. Then what was the self, uh, I guess, awareness of the actual Chinese record? Because, um, you know, at the, there was obviously a major chunk of time where Guns N' Roses fans like me and Art are just craving anything. You know, going on yeah. my GNR forum, and forgive me, um, I actually found my original uh, Napster leaks of uh, Chinese democracy. Sorry. I did buy the record after the fact, so, and the <laughs> vinyl, so you have my money. I guess I'm, um, I'm wondering, 
did you know the controversy or maybe the jokes that like this is never going to come out? Did that bother you or you were just like, I'm in it. I know what's going on. I, I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I Because I, in that time, we you know, we were just there at the village and we were in our own little bubble. The only person that would come and listen to the album was J- Jimmy Iveen. Um, that's the only person I think Axel would talk to about it or whatever. So it was just kind of, we were in our own little bubble. And I mean, I guess towards the end, it started to get a little ridiculous because, you know, that's when I start when I came out of the recording and I just started like hanging out again. And I think what happened was I did the recording and then Tom Waits asked me to play on that Real Gone album. And so I went back up north for about three months and recorded with Tom and then then guns wasn't doing anything. And then Tom said, do you want to go on tour? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go on tour. And that's when we were in Europe a lot with Tom and a lot of those fans, you know, they're fanatical. They would come to the show and they would know that I was in guns and they would kind of like, you know, be like, what the hell is going on? Like you guys. And I started to think like, what is going on? This is ridiculous. You know, but when you're when I was there recording, no, I was just like, oh, shit, this is a big thing. This is kind of rad. You know, it's like this shit has to be killer. Like, you know, because I'll never forget um, we were at the village and we were in the front, uh, uh, the, the main room where they did, I think, rumors. So it was like Studio A, I think it was. And it was in the very uh, it was the um, it was their big room, I guess. And um you know, we were setting up the drums and I was like, whoa, wait a second. I go, dude, this is Guns N' Roses. You know, like I, I said to everybody and I was just like, dude, we can't just record here. Like we got to fucking like, you know, like we got to do something rad or whatever. And I remember the studio owner, Jeff Greenberg, who was, became good friends. But, you know, he brought me into his office and he's like, what's up? You know, do you need a new tech? Do you need new drums or whatever? I'm like, no, dude, we need to record in a rad place. I mean, this is Guns N' Roses. Really? I'm just going to record where every other Joe Schmo sets up. He's like, well, hold on. There's a, there's an auditorium upstairs. That was an old Masonic, um, like theater. And I'm like, okay. And so he's like, well, you want to check it out? I'm like, that sounds better. And so we walked up there he opened the door and it was like a fuck, you know, mausoleum or something, you know, it just like creaked open and it was just shit everywhere. And it was just this, you know, really cool auditorium. And I was like, dude, this is where we got, this is where the journey are going to be set up. He was like, all right. And then that's, they ran cables up and they cleaned it out. And they built bucket of chicken coop. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, now we're recording. Now this is now this is Guns N' Roses. This is cool now. You know, and, you know, he took pictures and it became kind of a famous thing that they built Bucket a Chicken Coop, you know, to do his guitar stuff. And they did. And then my drums are set up in this auditorium and they just ran cables up there and had TVs and shit for us to talk back and forth and stuff like that. And that that's actually and that's now that, recorded all the that reminds me, I think that's why I heard about Bucket trying out for Ozzy. And uh, that's sort of was it was the chicken coop that Ozzy didn't want to have. <laughs> But Axel was cool with it, Probably. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, that's what's rad about it. I think he loves it when it's rad. You know, he wants it to be rad, too. You know, so he didn't say don't do it. He was like, you know, because in the end, 
I'm sh- everything goes to him. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like he's the end. He's the last, you know, dude that that you have to go through. So they probably just said, I don't know. Sounds good to me. You know, like, why not record up there? Sounds good. Does it sound good? You know, and it was like, yeah, it sounds amazing. It's like, okay. Because really down in Studio A is cool. It, you know, it's great. But I was just like, dude, we gotta, it's got to be better than this. You know what I mean? Like anybody comes here and records. Where is somebody not recorded in this building? You know, so it was just kind of like, oh, okay, now we got something going. So I think that's what I loved about it was that it was just on that, on that level of what I love about, I, you know, like Axel, even like this last time I saw him and he was saying that he wants to, you know, play three hours and 45 minutes on the next show. It's like, he's, you know, it's just he's, he's going, man. He's not stopping. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's pretty rad. Um, Brandon, I was going to ask you, mm-hmm. in your involvement on in Chinese or in GNR in general, um, just over the years, what is the one thing as a musician that you're the most proud of? Like the one thing you want people to remember or that you were really sort of proud of that you might not have talked about before? As far as a drummer on albums, and um, is that what you're asking? Yeah, the drummer, and just as a musician, just being part of, like, rock and roll history or one of the greatest bands in history and just, like, your sort of, like, you know, your your legacies. Like, what's the one thing you're like, man, that's fucking awesome. I got to do that, and that, to me, is, you know, I'm really proud of that. Well, I guess it goes back to what you said about the versatility. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, is it, it was it better, you know, to... I think that's what I'm proud of is that people could say that, Oh shit! Yeah, he, he played with Tom Waits and made that real Gone album, and shit, that was badass. Oh, and he played on Chinese Democracy, and that was badass. And oh, he was on that Primus the Brown album, and that was a sick sound, and that was pretty cool. You know, that was rad too. It was like, I guess you know, in the end, that's I'm proud that I I didn't stick with one thing, you know, in and and kind of just went with my heart when I kind of felt like things were burning out for me and I couldn't give it 110%. I, you know, I felt like, well, maybe it's time to move on now, you know, financially as I'm getting older, I don't know. I mean, you know, would it have been great to have played with slash and Duff? Fuck. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. I, I wish I was on that because I really feel like, you know, that's the real deal. And, and I would have loved to play with them, you know, on that thing. So I guess if I would have stuck with it, I would have done it. And, you know, and with Primus, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I guess my only regret is I feel sometimes like, God, I wish I could just go back and, and be in it again and, you know, or whatever. But, um, but in, but in the end, I'm, that's, I think to answer your question, that's the thing I'm most proud of that I did do a lot of different things and I did it as the real deal. It felt like, you know, like it, you know, you listen to real gone and you listen to the drums on that and the craziness on that album with Tom Waits. And you wouldn't think that that's the same drummer on Chinese democracy. I think right. that's, that's great. And that's something yeah. I, I said this to uh, Alex Grassi from quiet riot and out now with dizzy, uh, with hookers and blow the band, not the activity. Maybe. The yeah, I love Alex. Oh yeah. So Alex, I yeah. said this to him because yeah. he's been on a lot of projects and make, I use a lot of sports analogies that you have an amazing back of your baseball card. I, that's how I look at it. I mean, you yeah. can have somebody like a Cal Ripken who spends his entire career 
with the Orioles. And, I mean, take away just the PDs for Alex Rodriguez, but, you know, he had great careers with Seattle and Texas and the Yankees, of course. So it's just you're making your legacy in different areas. Yep. I mean, that's one thing I want to say really quick, and Dizzy will be the first one to say this, is I came up with the name Hookers and Blow. I just wanted to put that out there. So What? Say what? Alex said. He, he knows it, too. He thinks. All right. <laughs> he every time. But that was my, that was my joke. Every time we'd be done with the gig, I'd be like, all right, dude, it's time to get some hookers and blow. And then he was like, I'm going to use that for my band name. And I guess now he told me the last time I saw him, he's he, he, they on their bus, they got the hookers and blow, like, you know, uh, rap. Right. That says hookers and blow on their fucking bus. He was all excited. I just saw him about three weeks ago or whatever. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're, they're... I just wanted, that's my claim to fame. That's what I'm most proud of, actually. <laughs> All right, and now we got to, I think, the most uh, salacious fact that uh, Dizzy has been going around lying, saying that he came up with hookers and blow, because that's what Alex said. He's like, one day, he's like, uh, Dizzy just called me, and I was like, yeah, that's a cool name. But now I know the brain came up with it. So no. and that's the name for yeah, a reason, brain. He better fucking take it back, because he knows I did it. That was my <laughs> thing. I always used to joke with that, yeah. Oh, that's he'll, he'll admit to it if you put him on the spot. <laughs> well, if I ever get him on the podcast, I will definitely ask him <laughs> for that. Uh, yeah, I, right on. I know we've you've been awesome and, and go, we've been going a while, but I, I guess a, a few things that we did touch on earlier that I definitely want to get to this um, this episode were uh, the remixes, which we had the pleasure of seeing you perform with Melissa at the uh, the Clippers halftime and I believe the Rockets halftime show. So. I guess right. t- tell us a little bit about the project Melissa and Brain and how those came about those halftime shows because they were amazing. I want to see more of that. I would see a show absolutely of Brain and Melissa. Oh, that's rad. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because um, I would say when I um, I don't think I was out of the band yet. You know, when I left the band, I think it was right before um, Karim. You know, the producer. Um, and was the engineer when I first got there for Roy. And then when Roy got fired, uh, Karen became the producer. Um, he, um, he, him and Eric, the other, um, you know, Eric Kudo, who is the other producer, I hope I'm saying his name right. But, um, and I love both of them. I mean, they're still both close friends. And um, they, uh, you know, they were like, hey, you know, do you want to take some of these stems and do some remixes? And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds fun. Like, bring your MPC to the studio and let's just fuck around and do some rad shit. You know, Axel wants to, you know, have you just do some different stuff on these things. And I was, you know, on the Chinese songs. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'd go there with Karim and Eric and we would just fuck around and we made, you know, uh, If the World, we took Better, we took um, a couple others, you know, just other, other, other stems of stuff that we just had and just started making music and doing some cool shit. And then at that point I had met Melissa who, um, you know, kind of came into my life and, and we were kind of like, Hey, you know, we, we, we kind of think alike as, you know, she, she it was like the yin and the yang. I kind of had all the, the drums and all that kind of shit down and the percussion and all the rhythm stuff. And she had kind of the harmony stuff and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, I want to be a composer one day. And she was like, well, yeah, I mean, that sounds 
rad and you know we should do some stuff and i was like yeah i think we should so we started doing some composing things together and just kind of producing some bands together whatever and at that point i was like finishing up some of the gun stuff and i was like hey do you want to play on some of this stuff and help me do some of it you know and you know we started becoming brain and melissa's like uh composing team and so she had played on some of the stuff and all that. And then it kind of just went away. You know, the whole thing kind of went away. And then when Mother Goose and then Karim and I, Karim, we would still use as a um, mixer, engineer, kind of producer on some of the stuff that we were doing for composing. And so Karim would mix it for us and all that. So that's how Karim met Melissa. And then when, I guess, Chris Pittman you know, quit Mother Goose. Why is he called Mother Goose, fired. by the way? Is that a known thing that I just don't know? Yeah, I mean, it was just Mother Goose was how I first heard his name. You know, it's like Bucket said, hey, there's this guy, Mother Goose, that's pretty rad. You know, he's kind of like a synthesis type guy and oh. does all this crazy shit. And, you know, I really like him. And he's the one I'm going up to Axel's house with. So I guess, you know, he was there since for a long time. Okay. And, you know, I don't know the intricacies of what happened, how he got... Um, you know, um, kicked Separate. out or what? Yeah, well, you know, separated. Anyway, he had <laughs> separated, yeah. And, um, you know, Karen was like, hey, um, what about Melissa? You know, so Karen was kind of the one that spearheaded the whole, like, hey, let's get Melissa in the band or whatever. And at that point, you know, Melissa and I, we were together for a while as a couple. But then we kind of realized that shit, being together and also doing music 24-7, we're on, we're, the plane was about to fucking crash. You know, we were just we were doing this movie called Love is All You Need, I think. It's funny. It's ironic. Love is All You Need. And that's when it was, like, tough to, like, be together and working on a movie. Because working on movies is pretty stressful, too. You know, you got, yeah, I mean, the directors and stuff, they're all got, you know, pretty... You know, they're gone in their own way of like dealing with um, music and stuff like that. So it was, it was a tough process. And so we were kind of, you know, parting ways as, as a couple. And then Karen was like, Hey, we, sh you know, what about Melissa? So Melissa goes there and, and, you know, hangs out and I guess, you know, they liked her. So she got in the band, she started doing it. And when the rockets thing came up, uh, that was the first thing that happened. The rocket, because when I was with her and working with her, she would do uh, national anthems anyways okay. for um, some sports teams, you know, just some fools that we met around L.A. that would just be like, hey, I know the guy is the Sacramento Kings, and they need someone to sing. And, you know, and she, we were trying to do like an R&B thing with her own career. Got it. You know, like doing some stuff. Like I would make some beats or – you know, we became friends with, like, Manny Fresh and stuff from um, uh, the whole uh, Hot Boys crew or whatever. And, um, you know, so they were trying to make beats and do stuff, and tr she was trying to do this R&B thing. And um, she was also singing at these national anthem uh, um, sports events. So when this thing recently came up, it kind of went down like this. It was kind of just like I got a call from her, and it was just like, hey, the Rockets want me to sing the national anthem, but they also want me to do a halftime thing. Huh. And, 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 and I was like, okay, well, great. Go do a halftime thing. Like, 
what are you calling me for? <laughs> and then, you know, she was like, well, um, what do you think about doing some of these remixes? And I was like, what do you mean, the Guns one? You know, well, yeah, because, you know, they're trying to promote the show. I'm in Guns, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I guess if Axel will let us. That sounds interesting, you know, because I always wanted something to happen with those things. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, I, and she said, okay, well, um, you know, so I, I, we kind of put a little medley together of, I'm sorry, put a new beat to that. Um, had the other one done, but we kind of cut them up and kind of put them into like, okay, let's go and I'm sorry into our own little thing that we did this kiss remix for. Um, and we'll go into If the World with Axel. And she played it for him, and he was like, yeah, go for it. So we're just like, oh, shit, okay, this is rad. He wants us, I mean, he's lit. And so, you know, we went and we kind of, you know, did what we did on that Houston show. And then um, about two weeks later, they were playing in L.A., and um, our agent, Bryce, who's over at ICM, was like, um, hey, I think I can get you guys on the um, L.A., uh, you know, Lakers um, with the Clippers halftime thing. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, that would be cool. You know, we asked Axel, and he was like, or I guess she asked Axel, and he was like, yeah, go for it. So, you know, we did it, and I don't know. I mean, I thought it was cool, too. I mean, I would love to, to like, do all of them, like, you know, like, have like a uh, um, even at their shows like at the day before or something at like a festival or do it later that night at a tent or something you know it's like hey you know two thousand people get to come to this tent and see you know and listen to some Guns and Roses remixes and we'll even do some more I thought that would be that would be sick, rad you know? to use the yeah, just, word of the day of the episode that would be rad that would absolutely sell out in two seconds. Yeah, you know, and I thought, so I don't know what's going to happen with it. It kind of just ended as we did that L.A. show, and then they did their last show at the Forum, and then it became, um, you know, um, the holidays came, and it's just like that's where it ended up. But that's sort of how it became, you know, it got um, onto the, uh, the halftime thing. It was through kind of Melissa singing the – anthem them asking her to do it and then you know her suggesting why don't we do these remixes and of course you know i mean none of it would have happened if axel didn't agree to it sure he let us use his voice so that's what was so dope about it that was i mean her i mean i didn't realize how well she's sick i didn't know i mean obviously i i've enjoyed i've got to see uh, the new Guns N' Roses reunited, whatever, uh, this past summer and the summer before. So I've seen her live, but to hear her kind of soloed out and sing, I'm like, wow, I want to hear more of this. And to watch you, I mean, I'm not a fan of going to watch a DJ play. I'm not into like, hey, press yeah. a button, whatever. But you, you're like literally animal from the Muppets up there. And it's a show. <laughs> and it's you don't even have oh, a kit. Okay. I mean, I'm like, I didn't know where my eyes were. Like we're supposed to be, right? It was just, uh, it was incredible. So just the fact that you're able to do it a couple times, and I hope it does continue. And the fact that you're into it is even better. Well, yeah, because I think what you said is, I mean, just just think if I brought a real drum set up there with it too, you know, and then one of the tracks I can play a full kit, 
and then another track you you know what I mean you do a little bit of cheese DJ stuff and then you know and then go back and just kind of you know I, I think that it could really put a different perspective on the I, I mean it's just so rad that Axel's open for us to let, to let us do this you know what I mean that's where I'm kind of blown out it's I think like, it's smart it, of him to be honest with you yeah, I, I think it's rad because I, you know, um, so I think that if we, uh, I would be into it, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what their next steps are, what they're touring again, or if they're, you know, what's happening. So, you know. That's awesome that you're open to it, though. I mean, that in itself is, is still pretty cool, and, and hopefully it, it does. Then I guess with talking about, you know, that these remixes and you, you wanted them to see the light, and they did, are there other, is there other material that you recorded back in the Chinese days that we haven't heard yet? I mean, we've heard rumors, but I have. You, do you know if you worked on on anything that we haven't heard? Well, I know, I know there was like I know that I was on about six or seven other tracks that I'm not sure what happened to, and I'm not sure if, if you know if he's thinking about another Chinese from that era stuff or. Stuff or so we can do some more remixes from even the existing um, stuff that I already played on. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I mean, I'm open for any of that, especially on the remix tip and all that stuff, because, um, you know, that that's where my heart lies right now. You know, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I'm doing this tour at Bucket and stuff like that and, and doing it. But, you know, it gets tough on the level that I'd like to play on. At my age, you know, I'm feeling it, you know, and touring. I mean, it gets, that's why I was like, you guys play. I was talking to Frank, you know, and I was like, dude, you got, how do you, you know, he's like, oh, I got to pace myself and, you know, I can't just give it up, you know, but I'm kind of an idiot in that way. Like, I just like to give it all. I, I, I just, you know, I could just see myself after two hours, just like, what happened to Brain? Oh, he passed out. He's dead. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I don't know if I can pace it. Like, but yeah, because it's it's crazy. But you know, seeing that last show, it was you know, and seeing stuff and everybody. I mean, I thought it was you know, it was it was amazing. So you were at that last show at the forum. Yeah, I went to that one. Yeah, was that and and the, and uh -huh. I saw the Houston one and I saw a couple others. But just seeing that show with Slash and stuff, I just you know, I mean, it's and then Duff. I mean, they're just so awesome. You know, it was just. It was sick. Have you met uh, them prior? Did you go as just a fan buying a ticket, or did you, you know, have your hey? I was once in Guns N' Roses pass access pass, and you were able to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm still really tight with the, um, you know, the people in the camp. So, you know, as far as like being able to go, they always hook me up. Um, you know, I, I went to one of the rehearsals and stuff, and I saw slash and met him for the first time i've never met him before and met duff for the first time you know but uh duff actually came to the show in houston that melissa and i did oh you know so that that was cool yeah he, he you know he watched it and and um or whatever so that was kind of cool and i think dizzy was there and then um frank came and then you know i know a lot of the people still in there dell i mean dell and i are you know i mean i love dell he's like I always consider him a, a friend, whether or not I even had anything to do with Guns and Roses or whatever, you know. So I, I feel like, um, you know, and, and doing some of these remix, you know, I've done some of these remixes. I've always felt that connection still there, you know, or whatever. 
I hope it continues. Uh, I hope it goes to a point where we have Brain and Melissa playing the Super Bowl halftime show because we keep getting shit after year after year. I mean, they missed a boat <laughs> booking, not booking Guns N' Roses. I mean, Gago is great, but not booking Guns N' Roses, not booking Metallica. So, and that's yeah, and that kind of goes back to why. Uh, not, not to cut you off, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. And we talk about. Obviously, Guns N' Roses, but just the sound of rock and roll in general. Where is it going? And when I interviewed uh, London Hudson and and, and Nico, uh, you know, both 15 years old, I'm like, what do your friends listen to? And they all listen to SoundCloud rappers. So I like how you and Melissa are different, and I feel like you're putting a a more modern spin on on Guns N' Roses and the vibe, and it's going to, I feel— it's going to continue the legacy after, you know, years from now, after maybe Axel dies or whatever. I hate to say that, but whatever, he's old, but the brand will continue because it seems like the sound is somewhat, while it's keeping its core, it's evolving a little bit. And that's why I like when people like you get involved in GNR and Melissa, where you're there for Guns N' Roses, it's Axel's show, but you're bringing this new direction and breathing this new life into it. And I feel like it's going to make it, it just makes it bigger and because I feel like it gives it more of a future. I feel. Yeah, that's rad. I mean, that's the, the I mean, cause you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a rock and roller at heart. I mean, you know, I grew up, that's like I said, those bands, the Ramones, the, you know, the sex, this, all that stuff. I was, I was big into all every, you know, ACD, you know, all that stuff that I talked about. I was, that's my roots. I mean, that's where I come from, but I have to admit, you know, when my nephew who's, who's 18 and he sends me, you know, little pumps, new little Instagram little jam with DJ Carnage. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Okay. I, I, I mm-hmm. like some of this is kind of sick. I'm going to say it and I'm probably, you know, not every GNR fan's going to dig that, but I listen to it for more of not really like, I, I, I can buy, I listen to it for the energy in the same way as like, wow, how I looked at Jocko as never a jazz, you know, what jazz means, you know, it's, it's more just, I looked at him as a, as a fucking kick-ass, you know, like bass player that was playing his ass off. And it's like, any when I get that energy, it doesn't matter what style of music it is, as long as I know that that guy's in it. You know what I mean? Like that he's ready to die for his instrument, and you know what I mean. So sure. it's like that's the part I get from it. But I but you know the, the and then I look at the challenge is well, how do you keep the integrity of of some of these remixes with rock, keeping the rock part, but then adding elements of the new sound, right? You know, which like I said, my nephew. Yeah, he, he'll go to a Guns N' Roses thing, but what does he listen to? He listens to SoundCloud rappers. Exactly what you said. Ugh. You know, I'm just wondering when that so. change is, is going to happen. Like, I'm hoping it's going to happen. I can't say when, just because it's my it's my love of the, the, this sound. But you know, music is cyclical, and there is always an element, a base of rock, and every generation kind of changes it up a little bit. You know, uh, Art has written just many articles about the state of rock, especially living out in uh, in L.A. with the rest of the hipsters who make fun of him for liking Guns N' Roses. <laughs> right, right. But well, yeah, totally. I, no, I think the one point that I, I want to make really quickly about that yeah. is I, what I love is, uh, I mean, for me growing up and then discovering the Chinese democracy era of, of GNR, which is kind of when I was in college. Um, I loved it because, and this is this speaks to you as well, Brian and Melissa, and all the people that worked on that record. It was 
it was going away from traditional rock and roll. It was like the GNR avant-garde record. But what was cool was you guys on that record and Axel managed to maintain the core essence of what it meant to be a rock star and create a rock album. It was dangerous. It was risky. It took chances. It never compromised for anybody except the like auteur, like the Citizen Kane of the band, Axel. And like, that's what is missing the most to me from rock and roll is everyone's compromising. Everyone's just being politically correct. Everyone's kind of bending over for the corporations and the streaming fees and blah, blah, blah. But like, that guy and that band and you guys on that record, I can't really think of a rock record ever since that. I mean, it's been like 10 years, but I mean, what's the last time, what, what's the last rock record over the last 10 years where it was like, people were talking about it. People were shocked by it. People were offended by it or like hated it, loved it. And that to me is like the legacy of like you guys, cause you brought something different. You brought you and you know, you guys didn't do a traditional rock record, but you still had the edge of rock and roll, which I think is completely gone in my opinion for music today. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, and that's the part that, you know, I loved about the about being in the band. It was more about like, even what I said about even like that, you know, I, and I joke, I mean, I play that little pump for my friends and they're, you know, they send me back like boo down, you know, and I'm just like, well, dude, you don't see that. It's just like, you know, like, the attitude is he kind of reminded me of Axel back in, you know, when I first saw him with the feather boa, like going crazy and throwing the mic down and then jumping at, at, at the audience after somebody. I mean, <laughs> that's why I got into it. Not because I can play a fucking paradiddle, you know? So it's like, um, yeah, it would be great. I mean, I'd lo- I can't wait to see what the, what they, he comes up with next, you know? I mean, I'll be making a raw, you know, just a raw album again would be killer, you know. No click, you know, the band. In a, it's a pretty big band now, so I don't know how that'd work. But maybe if you can just get five people in the room jamming and really have it, you know, back to playing again. I mean, those are my favorite albums, you know, still, so. Right on. Uh, one last, uh, I guess, GNR question for me, just to, I guess, and then after um, we can wrap up in, as far as, you know, what you have going on, and I know you just finished a tour with uh, with Buckethead. Uh, did we, and you don't have to answer it, did we touch on when you decided to leave? Because I know you said you, you kind of regret it. Uh, what was that decision like? Again, only if you can answer. Yeah, it was, uh, well, no, it's, um, it's uh, you know, I was, I was having a kid, and um, it was interesting because uh, for my own person, it had nothing to do with guns. You know, um, they're always good to me. Um, they paid me well. Um, you know, it, it had nothing to do with any personalities really for me, you know, that was in the band or whatever. It was me of a personal choice of, you know, I was having my first kid. Um, I didn't want to miss that. So it was right in the middle of the tour. So I, I, I left. I Frank took over for that month or whatever that was left. Because uh, I had planned it that Frank would come in and he would do that, and then I was supposed to come back. And you know, when they came back, I went back and I did about six shows. I think it was six or seven shows. And um, I just remember on the last show, I was just on stage, and I think it was in Night Train, and um, you know, and I was playing, and I just was looking at the audience, looking at myself, just looking at you know, the whole situation. And I was like, you know what? I just, I'm not, I can't put, I can't 
put the shit I need to, that this deserves, Mm. you know, I was like, I don't have the energy for this. It's like, I don't know. I just don't want to do this anymore. So I remember I got off stage. Um, I think Tommy and I hit an eight ball. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and, um, I took the, uh, I took the, you know, I went back to my hotel and I remember calling, um, the manager at that time. And I just said, dude, I I just, I can't do this. I can't, I can't put, I can't do it for what it needs, you know? And, and the reason why I regret it is because I think in that moment, I wasn't thinking, you know, I was just in a weird headspace and I wasn't thinking it fully through. I was just kind of thinking being selfish for myself. And I, you know, and then I see, I, I, I don't know. I just was like, I, I don't even want to play drums anymore. And I literally just stopped playing drums. I remember at that point, Serge from System of a Down called me, you know, like after he found out I quit guns and was like, hey, I'm doing this solo thing. Will you tour with me? And I was just like, no. And I remember getting a call from um, that heavy manager from Korn. Um, and he was like, uh, they were, that's when Korn was still pretty big. And they were like, hey, you know, the drummer just quit. And, um, you know, Jonathan you know, we had talked before I, I had met him and he was like, Hey, recommend you very highly. And they want you to come and play or audition or do whatever. And I was just like, no. And he was like, well, you don't like money. And I was like, well, yeah, I love money, but I don't, I don't want to play drums anymore. And so I just, it was kind of that. I just said I was, didn't really want to play. And so, um, I just, that's sort of how I, you know, it wasn't anything to do with guns. It was more just me just going, God, I just, you know, I want to try this composing thing. And, you know, and I have to say, composing is a lot harder than drumming for me. You know, it's like it's it's it hasn't been like, oh, yeah, now the phone just doesn't stop ringing, you know. But, you know, I'm grateful. I mean, I've done some great stuff. I mean, we've done, uh, you know, as the composing team with Melissa, we've done a lot of shit, you know, a lot of video games, done all of Joseph Kahn's movies. We got that new one coming out called Bodied that's produced by Eminem. Oh, cool. And that's supposed to be out this year a video game called cyberpunk. That's another one that we got going. And that's a good Billy uh, uh, Idol record. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we got some good stuff, you know? So anyway, I like it. And, and like, I would say that it's, it's not because you mentioned the word selfish at all, because especially if you're having a kid, I mean, I don't have children, but I, I've gone through some life changing things where your priorities just change. And if anything, this just reflects more on your, your nickname brain and how cerebral you are. And it, not everything is just so obvious, you know, with, with everything with you. Just like as far as, again, going in deeper and, and talking about your thought process. So that is, uh, I, def- I respect that decision. And then you're, you're open and, on, and, 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 yeah, just your honesty and being how candid you were about the decision and how you feel now about it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I mean, well, thank, and thanks for having me on, you know. Oh, sure, but, but before we go, I want to make, catch up with everything that's going on with you now because that's the most important thing, what's, what's Brain has now. So you just finished your tour with Buckethead. Are you guys going to go back on tour anytime soon, or what's, what are the plans now? You know, I'm not sure. We kind of just said we wanted to finish this uh, run of um, shows that we had up to the new year, and we did a new year show, and, and that was fun, and that was the last show that we did. Um, since then, you know, we, we don't really – we haven't talked about anything. I mean, you know, I, I, I would love to do more shows with Bucket. I mean, he's probably, you know, my favorite musician that I've ever played with. Cool. And, 
and I consider him, you know, one of my best friends. So that would be awesome, you know, to do that. And, um, as far as that's for drumming, that would be awesome. And, you know, well, before you get, I'm sorry to cut you off before that. How is he, like, if I can ask about bucket, how is he feeling health wise? Cause I know he had a health scare. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, I think he's feeling better. You know, he's really trying to work it out. And, you know, I think the thing is, is with his medication is where, you know, if he takes the medication, I think he feels better, but I think it also has some side effects and shit like that. So I think that's where he's, you know, bums out and right. gets down on, you know, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think he, you know, I mean, like I said, um, shit, it was like what, 20 something years ago when we first met and we, you know, we've had our ups and downs, you know, and stuff, but you know, it would be great to keep playing with them. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Cause I want to have you guys out on the East coast so I can watch you. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was hoping we can hit the East coast, you know? Well, you never know. So then what else is, uh, other than, because you mentioned a lot of the um, composing projects and video games, um, anything else that we should be on, out on the be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just, you know, try, um, trying to finish, like, I, I, it, I really got into, like, some ambient music during, I know it sounds kind of weird, but during the composing, you know, like, period of my life i really just started getting really into like brian eno and you know like just kind of i mean i don't even want to i don't want to go as far as like you know meditation and, and that kind of you know uh, but but you know i i i think that um you know recently i've been kind of making a lot of um you know, ambient music that I want to put like some, you know, trippy beats to and stuff like that and kind of, you know, make my own, you know, SoundCloud, but it's not rapping. It's more like ambient trap music, I guess you can call it or something like that. Okay. So, you know, I've been working on that as my own personal stuff, but, you know, I really would like to get, you know, my, my goal myself would be really to get like a TV series. You know, I would, I would love to do like an HBO series and be able to, you know, compose that, you know, like, or whatever, you know, I mean, to me, that would be, that would be the ultimate goal. Something for, like, uh, know, or on that side, I believe it was, uh, Dave Kushner, uh, of course, in Velvet, he was, did the theme for Sons of Anarchy. So something like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like stuff like, yeah, like something like that. And being even the composer would be the greatest, you know, for me, because I w I've never done something like that where it's like, you know, weekly you have to kind of come up with music and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gig that, you know, like it's really stressful and hard for a certain period of time. But, you know, you get it's just I feel like that would be really fun. That's something I haven't done. You know, movies kind of spread over a long period of time, like in video games. Like I think when we did Infamous, you know, that, that was like a year and a half. Of just like making music here and there and just spread, you know, I would like to have like try it as a steady job for six months and see, you know, just like really get into composing. I just feel like it would kick my ass the way guns did. You know, <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to see um, what you have in store, what's going to come out, whether it be, you know, whether video games or the ambient music or working out with Melissa, maybe eventually you do that remix thing you were talking about, kind of like a you set up your own little kiosk outside of a Guns N' Roses show. Uh, I can't wait. So how can fans cause keep in touch with you? Because I know you're not big on social media. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't do it. And Bucket doesn't do it either. That's the funny part is we just don't have it. But, you know, I do have a website, and you can go to it. It's brainarcane.com. That's how I, I got you, honestly. I mean, I, I was... Oh, you did? Yeah. That's because yeah. it was one of those, like, I, I was looking for just an email address, and it was one of those empty email for, uh, forms to fill out. I'm like, oh, he's <laughs> never going to get this. And then when you emailed me no, back, I, I, I was like, whoa. I don't, get, I don't get that many people because it's so gone. And, and you know, I, uh, my friend who is the, um, you know, I just love the site because it's so out. It doesn't make any sense, and it means nothing. Um, and, um, you know, I have a friend who's the art director at Pixar, and so he built that for me. Oh. You know, and he actually texted me the other day, and he's like, Dude, should we just make you a regular site so people can actually figure out it's you and like <laughs> what the you know like I just feel like you know it's holding you back from getting paid and that's just a failure and I'm like no way dude this I'm just totally into the site this is my favorite thing it just means <laughs> nothing and people I get so many emails like after these buckethead tours people trying to get a whole you know like brain I don't know if this is you because I don't understand this site but if it is please you know like that kind of stuff all so, right. Then your next project is to get a new website. Yeah, I'm going to start promoting uh, some of the albums and shit on that site. And I'll probably end up doing social media this year. I mean, you know, my daughters yelling at me and my nephews like, dude, come on, man. (laughs) Art, do you have anything? No, this has been amazing. I mean, I I would love to spend like three hours with you talking about Buckethead because we can talk about that all day. I mean, it's like just your experiences in the studio with him and what you think he, where you think he stands in like the pantheon of rock and roll. I guess, uh, I guess for me, it's like, how do you feel? What, what's it like playing with him? Like, what's the uniqueness of playing with Buckethead versus somebody else? Well, he's just, you know, he's just the real deal. And that's the part that I get the energy off of, you know, like he really sticks to his, you know, his, his whole shtick and he doesn't, he doesn't try to compromise for anybody and it comes out in his playing and, you know, he's just such a virtuoso that, um, right. you know, he kicks me in the ass. I mean, he it's just, you know, and he's very, it, it, like, you know, Axel is very particular about what's happening. It's not just a free-for-all, you know what I mean? He, 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 he'll be like, dude, that was too slow or that was too fast or, hey, you played that part wrong. Or, Remember, it goes like this. And I'm like, oh, shit, okay. So he's constantly you know, keeping me on my toes. And I think that's what I like about most of the player. I've been lucky enough to play with, you know, some of the best players in the world. I mean, Les is like that. I mean, he's just a monster, you know, I mean, um, Bill Laswell, you know, and, 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 um, and his whole crew of people and Bootsy and, and, um, Bootsy, oh my Wade. god! I, 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 yeah. Next time you like, uh, yeah. hopefully you come on again. I got to talk to you just more about Bootsy Collins. I got to talk. You know, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be his friend. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the sickest shit. I mean, you know, it's like on that on that world, it's like you know how you know like on avant garde guitar shredding or whatever it ends with Buckethead. You know, with funk, you know, the train ends at Bootsy's place. You know, it's like. <laughs> you can't get better schooling than just being at his studio and playing with him. You know, I mean, it's just, and, and, you know, in watching him play the drums, I'd become a better drummer just watching him play the drums in his way. You know, like it's just, it's, it's whatever he, 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 he picks up 
it it's it's bootified if that makes any sense. You know? <laughs> it's like gosh, ah, shit, that's how it's supposed to go. I get it, you know, like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I think the most important thing that I got out of this interview with you, Brain, and uh, I got a little bit a sense of it just through your emails and the way you write that you're you just like Art and I, you're just a fan who happens to be doing yep. what he loves for a living. Yeah, I, 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 that's that's it, man. I mean, you know, like, I, I, I mean, there's there's no other way to really say it. I mean, I think you know when you ask me about Bucket. And the reason I love playing with him is because I'm a fan of his. And so I'm just happy to be there. And I've been lucky lucky enough to play with most of, of the people that I want. I mean, you know, I would have loved to play with Miles, I guess, or Prince. But besides that, I mean, the people I just mentioned, I mean, you know, I've been so lucky because I've been fans of theirs first. You know, and that's the part that, that um, makes me keep going. That's why it was a weird thing, you know, when I when. I, I think I I lost that when when you asked me like well why did you quit guns I just guns happened to be the band I was in but I pretty much quit I quit drums is what I quit mm. you know it just happened to be that because I I wasn't a fan anymore so I'm trying to get that back and I think that um, through playing with Bucket again is making me a fan again so that's, you know I've been practicing again and just getting into it. Awesome. Listen to some new kids and all the gospel chops dudes and stuff like that. That's good. That's great to hear. And on top of being a fan, I mean, the, the humanness behind you is really shown through uh, through this conversation. So, I mean, I came in a fan, and I'm leaving even a, a bigger brain fan. So this has just been, like what Art said, this has just been too cool. And the fact that you've allowed us to talk to you for a couple hours, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh if any project, or if you just want to talk about video games, you're always welcome to, uh, to come on again. If you're ever in New York, uh, we're in the same building as Q104, uh, Z100, you know, right here in Tribeca. More than welcome to come down. We don't have to talk about Guns N' Roses every time. Uh, anyone who listens to this show still cares about what you have to say. So uh, I just can't thank you thanks. enough. Again, thanks, thanks again, and I'll definitely... Um... You know, I'll keep in touch if uh, we decide to tour and we're in we're in uh, the East Coast for sure. Absolutely. Right on, dude. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to us. You're you're the greatest man. We're really humble and really kind, and you know, it's been it's been an honor. Ditto. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, and I'll um yeah keep in touch, and um Absolutely. I'll talk to you guys soon. So that was fucking cool. The fact that Brain spoke to us for wow. over two hours is insane. He didn't have to talk to us at all. And he gave us his time. He was so candid and open with everything. Uh, how do you, what do you think of the interview? What do you think of it? Because I'm happy. That conversation was insane. He's so cool. He's so humble. And like, th those are the guys that like inspire me to keep doing what I do because you meet these guys and they're just cool. They're fans. They're, they're more into it than we are. And it's like, he's just a good dude. And he talked about everything and you no know, holds barred. Nothing was like off limits. He was super, just fuck, man. That was awesome, dude. And it's stuff about Buckethead and Les Claypool. You know, the one thing is, God, I wish we had more time because I just I dig into Primus for like ten hours with that guy. That was so cool. <laughs> like seriously, I played the bass because of Les Claypool, so I, I can just go off on that for years. I remember you like when I asked you to join me in this interview when you told me that, I was like, whoa. I was asking for all these other wonderful reasons, but the fact that 
that just added more to it. So, uh, like you said, hopefully he comes on again and he does more work with uh, Melissa or whatever project he has, albeit with whether it's with Bucket or whatever. Plenty more things. I mean, two hours wasn't enough. That's what's insane. The fact that that's what it goes to show you. How could you do a podcast on Guns N' Roses 42 episodes later? How could he talk to Brain for two hours? It was just, and he said, he's like, am I talking too much? And no, right. we're hanging on every fucking word. So that's so cool. Um, and that's what we want here on Appetite for Distortion. Organic, fun conversations that, of course, revolve around Guns N' Roses. Uh, but we want to find about the, about the people who are involved or fans. Uh, we've been getting a lot of fan emails. Because um, I have mentioned, of course, guest co-hosts. But I do want to do more fan spotlight episodes, just like we did with Sir Kev from Ireland. Uh, I got hit up by the guy who played uh, bass, I believe, in Mr. Brownstone, a now defunct uh, Guns N' Roses cover band that once played David Letterman. Yeah, so he he reached out to me, and he's down with the future interview. Uh, And just let just keep the feedback coming, because forgive me, I forget the guy's name, but he was he's like, I'm just a Korean dude from Chicago with a family, and this podcast gives me. You know, something to look forward to, my shitty life. And he's like, I've been in fans since episode one, but this is the first time I'm reaching out. Whoa, that's so fucking cool. So reach out, you know, whether it's you want to be a part of the show, whether you have an idea or just positive feedback. I guess kind of put out some of the places that uh, we've had listeners, Denmark, Ireland, Portugal, the UK, Canada, of course, every state in the U.S., Germany. So Sweden, I mean, it's just fucking everywhere, and it's just so fucking cool. And I keep cursing because I'm brain was cursing so much, and I think he's kind of got it into me a little bit. Um, so just keep it coming, uh, Art. Unless you have anything else to say, no. The only thing I'll say is, you guys listen in. You guys are a hardcore fan. If there's anything that you guys could help fact check, or if there's any questions, weird shit that came up that we couldn't kind of figure out, or maybe Brain himself was kind of having a, you know, a quote-unquote brain, brain fart. fart. <laughs> you know, if there's any, anything like that, like the song he mentioned that he couldn't remember, things like that, please, you know, bring, send it over to us. Yes. Bring it up on social media. Post about it on my or whatever. Let's, let's, yes. let's, let's build the history of this fucking record and this artist and this band and together. Why not, you know? 100%. We always welcome that. Please correct us. Uh, you know, it's not like I have a producer who's fact-checking everything. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the guy brain has worked on a million songs, so it's kind of humorous, and it's cool that he laughed at it. But, you know, fill in the blanks that we left out. Absolutely. So uh, definitely piggyback on uh, Art Tavana's uh, sentiment. And, of course, follow Art Tavana on Twitter, because if you're not following him, you're doing it wrong. It's just it's very smart, very funny. Of course, a lot of GNR stuff, a lot of wrestling stuff. Uh, even if we weren't friends, I would definitely follow you. You're, you're, you're a good time as uh I, I don't know. That sounded weirder right. than I wanted, but I'll stick with it. So that concludes episode 42 of Appetite for Distortion. My name has been and will continue to be Brando. Uh, please follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeart, Spreaker. That is all the podcast uh, forms, um, platforms that we're on. Uh, please leave a review. Tell your friends about us. I mean, when that happens, bigger and better interviews more content for you and I have more fun everybody wins so as far as the next episode of Appetite for Distortion is concerned when will you see it well as Axel Rose once said about Chinese democracy I don't know if soon is the word but you'll see it you've been listening to the distorted minds of Appetite for Distortion 
Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. security, I'm going home.